Screen printers, welcome back to the Aussie Screen Print Club. Sorry, there's been a bit of a gap um, in between this one and the last one. Uh, we're just all super busy and can't quite uh, carve out the times to meet up at the same time. Today's really interesting though. We've got Antase Screen Printing from North Perth. Um, really, really interesting um, discussion about how they got started. They didn't start in the usual place. They planned their whole business from the outset including importing the kit and uh, doing some training overseas, in fact, and uh, hiring a warehouse and just literally getting stuck into it. So I hope you enjoy this. Listen on to Lizanne and Tony. And yeah, give us some feedback. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers. Good morning. Good day. Good day. Good day. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Can G'day. you hear Welcome. us? Yeah. Yeah, pretty clearly. Thanks. Um, welcome. It's great to finally meet you. Um, tell me, first of all, what's the weather like in Perth? You guys have just got out of bed, right? It's like nine o'clock or something. <laughs> <laughs> we wish. <laughs> it's actually nice and sunny today. Yeah, it's been no. raining a lot lately, but it's nice yeah. and sunny today. Yeah, Australia's been really hit badly. Well, at least in the East Coast, it's been really hit badly with the uh, La Nina now. And you guys have had all kinds of weather. You've had it all, haven't you, this year so far? Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. I think uh, Perth is pretty famous for like having all the seasons in one day, yeah, uh, right. you know, so so it tends to happen. But I mean, it's it's like, honestly, we luckily don't have to really deal with whatever East has to deal with, with like floods and things like that coming through. Mm. Like that's a yeah. massive, massive disruption and a lot of loss with that. But, you know, we're pretty lucky over here. So, yeah, nice big city. Nice and safe. We're up uh, 3000 feet where we are here, above sea oh. level. So we're pretty safe from flooding generally. But yeah, it's been raining nonstop. And I can tell you last night, it was like two degrees or something. It was super cold. So <laughs> that's not so cool. Yeah, that's really cold. All right. Now, Tony, I can I can say is a name really easy. And I'm just terrified of saying your name. Lizane, Lizanne, how, how do you? Yeah, Lizanne. Lizanne. Okay. What's yep. the origin of that name? Uh, South African. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's a mix between my two grandmother's names. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So, it's actually a common name in South Africa, but my spelling is very unique. Um, not okay. a lot of people. Most people in South Africa have like a L-I, um, double N-E. I've even had someone try and spell my name with an H as well in there. Oh, wow. Okay. They managed that, but that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, look, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a few weeks and we've wanted to connect. You guys have been super busy doing what sounds like some interesting print jobs, which I'd love mm. to hear about. But uh, just to get us started, give us a kind of flavor of your print shop and uh, what, what you run, what, what uh, machinery you run and what kind of print jobs you do. Your water-based primarily, I think, is that right? Yes. Yeah. I'll let the printer do that. <laughs> yeah, this, this is the part where I'd like to have a handheld so I can actually walk you guys through and to show everything, because we like to do that anyways with all the plants that comes in. Um, but we run fully manual um so yeah it's an eight color press so that's kind of like actually where i started off with uh -huh. um and uh yeah it's purely water-based that's basically that's all that we do um nice. that was more just the personal choice um really in terms of going that direction um and yeah i've got all the bells and whistles and things like that i've got a complete rynet package nice um, package has since been discontinued because i went for a smaller press model mine's what they call the auto ready 
model. So the whole yeah. fit out is basically exactly like the auto machines, just doesn't have the auto unit on top. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if I wanted to upgrade to an auto unit, all my platens work across um, both the manual and the auto. Oh, um, the registration is pretty much exactly the same, except for like um, this one has rear clamps rather than side clamps. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, screens all work the same as well and everything. So I just kind of made it so that it's easy for me to upgrade when we're ready to do so. Yeah, that's smart thinking because I know, um, you know, coming through our small journey and hearing about a lot of other people, it's that kind of thing of saying, oh, if only I'd known this, I'd have gone for that one now. So that it makes mm -hmm. life easier then. So it's a really cool bit of planning. Just going back one quick thing there, uh, mm -hmm. you made the choice um, to go water-based. Is that, can you tell us why? Is that kind of largely around the environment or the type of print you get? What is it you like about water-based? So I guess it kind of like, we can kind of touch also in terms of like why we started the business in the first place, um, because that kind of ties in terms of why I chose water-based because I wanted to start up my own clothing brand. Um, and I was really doing a lot of research in terms of like, you know, how do you get shirts printed? Where can you get them printed? What's the printing process? All those kinds of things. And I just really fell in love with like what the process looks like, like how you actually produce a shirt. Mm. Um, and through the research and things like that for myself, personal preference, I wasn't really happy with the results Plastisol was producing. Um, and so I was like, well, let's try out water-based. And I just fell in love with the, the end product that it gave you in terms of like, you know, yeah, definitely environmentally friendly, you know, the, the, the benefits of those as well. But I just love the softer hand feel, um, you know, the washability on it as well, um, the breathability. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, it just allowed me to basically go in that direction. Um, and by doing that kind of research and things, I was like, oh, I think I could probably do this myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, I did. so it just kind of started from there. I'm like, oh, I wanted to start my own brand, then did the research, fell in love with screen printing, and I was like, okay, well, let's start my own business. And just, I mean, keep, we'll come back to that because I'm fascinated by that because um, from my perspective, we, we're primarily a plastisol. We do discharge, we do a tiny bit of water base. Being 3,000 feet up, it's super arid when it's not raining. And, you know, you get a few hits in a screen. And it's, you know, even if you missed it, it's kind of dried out. So it's very hard for us to manage that kind of uh, ink. But um, I want to come back to that whole thing about that decision. But just continue about your, your hardware. So you, you've got a, did you say an eight color press? Is that? Yep, eight eight and ready ready to go up to an auto if and when. Uh, what are you doing for like flash and, and dryers and those sorts of things? Um, so that's also came out pretty much um, all within the same same kit. Um, I've got a uh, just a standard um, uh, was it uh, standard flash um, that came with the unit. Um, so nothing too fancy. I'd like to upgrade to a quartz flash, an auto quartz flash. Mm -hmm. um, just so that I don't have to keep in mind and, and count my seconds and all those kinds of things, because you know, over curing and things like that. Yep. And then I've got a um, forced air dryer, which was a conveyor dryer and things like that. Um, I've started to realize now in terms of production rates of what I've come with printing and things like that, the tunnel speed is quite slow. Um, so that's kind of my biggest bottleneck at the moment in terms of production mm -hmm. rates. And things like that because you know um you have to make sure water base gets cured properly i mean absolutely really for yeah. everything and stuff but you know the dwell times is quite long um, so are you looking at kind of minute and a half to two minutes is that typically how you yeah know? yeah yeah that's generally how long it is um i tend to kind of like aim almost for three minutes just to get make make 100 sure that it's completely yeah. cured and things because i don't yeah. want to 
up the temperature too much so that I don't scorch white garments. I found that that tends to happen yeah. quite frequently. Yes. Um, yes. And then you get like this brownish tinge to it. And yeah, I was like, well, no one like, really uh, likes a brown white shirt. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's kind of like in terms of that kind of equipment. Um, I started off with the um, Green Galaxy water-based inks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And since then, I've actually transitioned over the permaset. Um, just because it's a lot easier to be able to restock and get fresh ink and things like that, then well, it's impossible to restock growing that stuff here because nobody is. Yeah, to say, how did you get your hands on it in the first place? Yeah. Like you're a Ryanet shop, right? Basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, did you buy all that stuff through a distributor in Australia, or did you just have to go straight to the US? Or <laughs> this that is an interesting a, story. Yeah, this was this was a whole year long process. Oh wow. Um, okay. It should have taken six months, but it took me a year. Um, and the main reason for it is, is like, yeah, we did use a distributor. Um, the distributor was in the US that basically allowed them to ship to Australia. Um, but unfortunately, during that process, what wasn't, I wasn't informed about was the, the distributor that we used was actually in the process of going bankrupt. Um, and it was probably say about four months into the process and all communications went dead. Um, I would email someone and say, oh, this person's not working here anymore. Please contact this person. Then I'll email that person. This person's not working here anymore. Please contact this person. Yeah. Pick up the phone, give them a call. Tone dead. Just nothing goes through whatsoever. And that started like getting worried about it and stuff like that. And so I had to go through the process of trying to get my funds back and things like that because obviously non-delivered um, yeah. product and things like that. I contacted Ryanet directly. Um, and they're like, well, you know, we didn't even know about this happening and things like that. And so they were really fantastic on their end because they like, let's like, we'll manufacture it for you. We'll ship it for you and things like that. So luckily we paid through the bank through credit. So the bank basically did the fight for us because, you know, they always want their money. Yeah, um, right. and, uh, yeah, so they managed to get the funds back. We managed to go straight directly through Ryanet. Um, what was really nice is during that process, I actually traveled to the U S um, to go and check out their factory, how they do everything. And at oh, the same cool. time, I did a weekend course as well in terms of like screen printing and things like that. Did like a bit of a crash course on it. Yeah. Um, and then came was that, back. Was that the first time you'd pr printed when you went on that yeah. course? Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This turned so out was... to be a bit of a blessing, this problem, right? Yeah. The yeah. sound of it. Yeah. Yeah. So they definitely gave me that opportunity and things like that to be able to travel there, meet the whole team, do some training. You know, the training course and stuff like that really see the equipment how it worked and then also makes it very easy then when the equipment arrived for me to just get straight into it yeah. um it took me a couple of like i'd probably say about two to three hundred garments to just kind of <laughs> really get good consistent results yeah, um it's pretty good and yes. it's purely just dealing with the environment as well like you were highlighting in terms of like how quickly water base dries out um i would definitely say like a squirt bottle of water is your best friend yeah, you know, you really like you hug that thing and you use it as much as you can. It's just just keeping that that uh, that water content as high as possible. Um, and yeah, that, that's pretty much how I combat it most of the time. Um, I built myself like a home DIY demister as well, okay, just to kind of blow cool. a bit of uh, mist onto the screens and things like that. That worked for a period of time and things like that, but I found that the water model still just does the best. So, yeah. and so just going back to ink. So you started on uh, the Galaxy. You'd wanted to stay with that, or you just couldn't get it, so you switched to Permaset, or did you prefer Permaset? How did that work for you? Um, 
I think I kind of, when I found like to Permacet and that was just kind of like, not through actually searching, but just by um, happenstance, just um, from one of those distributors here in, in Perth. And um, well, it started with, so we do, did a bit of discharge printing as well, but we could never get that process quite right. Um, especially with some of the garments when you discharge it they come out this kind of yellow brownish color yeah um, so we could never get the vibrancy we wanted on darker garments with discharge um, and then we discovered the super color from Permacet and that kind of changed the game for us in terms of just switching over to them okay completely and as well obviously the restocking of getting Ryanette stuff here it's possible but it's very expensive and we just didn't see a point in that yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's difficult in Australia with all those different types of providers, particularly at the hardware end, to get mm. exactly. And if, if, like us, you sort of do a lot of trawling on YouTube and, you know, watch all these other people doing their videos, all you hear about is the American stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> you go, oh, I better have that, I better have that. And you go, well, how can I get that? It's, you know, it sounds like you've done really well to get all of that kit into the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah there was... Um was quite a few hoops and stuff like that to jump through and stuff because obviously with importing things into australia and stuff like you got to make sure like all of your chemicals all of your like you know liquids and things like that you've got you know your paperwork in order and stuff like that to make sure that you know you're not bringing anything in that australia that goes like no no we don't like that mm -hmm. um and unfortunately because of how everything's packed together if they don't like it that's everything delayed oh, it's yeah. not just that yeah. tub of ink or just that you know emulsion remover or something like that yeah, everything was cut open when it got when it finally came to us. Yeah. Um, we had two or three massive like uh, crates uh, dropped off, and um, unfortunately, unfortunately, like the backlight of the washout booth was damaged and oh, okay. like pretty much broken. Um, and there was some inks and stuff missing as well. Uh, we didn't know if it was customs or, you know, if it was missed in the package or that. So, but yeah, everything was pretty much, you could see it was cut open and then kind of taped back together mm. by the time it got to us. Um, and then we received another smaller crate. Was it six months after with the new washout yeah. booth? So what's nice is those is that we just basically contacted Ryanair and said like, this is what happened. This was missing and this was broken. They're like, no worries. We'll just send it to you free of charge. Oh, good. Um, so they sent us an entire backlit unit and everything like that for the washout booth, all the tubs of inks and stuff that was missing. Um, the kids' buttons? Ah, uh, yes. That's a, that's actually an interesting thing that she points out. Because um, the equipment already arrived and we assembled it and we started working with it and things like that while we were waiting for the rest, we just decided to chuck in some extra like patterns and things like that that allowed us to print on like kids-sized garments and things. Um, and yeah, that was actually a great investment. Um, which I'll, you know, like I'll touch on a bit later in terms of like, you know, some advice I'd give people that actually want to go into this journey <laughs> yeah. in terms of the things that you should look into kids, getting kids and, and how to start yeah. out. Um, but yeah, because that definitely helped us a lot. Because obviously, like, you know, if you have like a kid's garment that's like, you know, four inches wide, you're mm. not going to get it over a 16 wide, you know, platen. It's just mm. not going <laughs> to, nope. no matter how much you stretch it, it's just not going to happen. Um, mm. And I've, I've tried some very interesting things where like I've, I've clamped, a small piece of like three mil MDF onto the big platen so I can load the shirt yeah. over that small piece of wood to be able to, you know, print on that and everything like that. And that snipe me with off contact and, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. nightmare. You try, yeah. yeah. You try and MacGyver things so much sometimes <laughs> it's, it's crazy. So, guys, when was this? When did you um, get your kid in from Ryanet? 
Uh, so I think the whole process started in, yeah, in April 2017, and we basically kicked off in April 2018. So that's wow. like, okay, that, that was that full process. year you're talking about. And you were yeah. just preparing, you didn't do any other printing or buy a cheap Chinese press or whatever. You just, yeah, okay. No, it's just like, because the thing is, is like now, like obviously hindsight helps a lot in the situation. But for me, I was just like, I kind of worked it out so that nothing went wrong. But then what happened, because that happened, we actually already rented the warehouse. So we had an empty warehouse that we're paying for oh, sitting there for okay. like almost eight months okay. and things like that. And it's just, it's just, you know, draining the funds. Yeah. And so then the stress starts kicking in of like, you know, when's the equipment arrive? Is it going to arrive? All those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, there's a few different things that I would have definitely done when it comes to in terms of getting the equipment in and things like that. Start building a, you know, a bit more of a client base and stuff like that beforehand, getting a local like, um, gum tree press or something you know just uh, yeah, a second hand yeah. press just to kind of get the thing rolling having said that though um we kind of went that route our, our journey's a bit kind of crazy um which i won't go into but uh it was painful because we hadn't had any experience we bought the worst press you can imagine the worst screens you can imagine you know squeegees that were probably useful for cleaning windows you know <laughs> we just had no idea and we were like man screen printing is a nightmare everyone makes it look so easy so yeah. investing in the right kit to begin with does that leapfrogging thing and it allows you to, mm. to work with stuff that's going to work so you know yeah. having to wait a long time isn't great but mm. um so what did you do you'd you're working other jobs or so at the time i was doing um freelance graphic design work because mm -hmm. that's actually my background is graphic design so that definitely helped in terms of being in the screen printing industry and stuff yeah, like that sure. in terms of separations and all those kinds of things you did the news course um yeah i also did um in during that time and things like that because this is my first business adventure and stuff i just basically went through the whole educating myself in terms of how to effectively run a business Mm -hmm. um and luckily here in in wa they really do support small business startups and provide a lot of like programs that's self-funded and things like that as well um oh, to be able to get you through that process and what i love the most about that is is they actually use people that have business experience to teach you how to run a business um so that really gives you the advantage because they really tell you in terms of how to properly track and manage your finances which right now i would say is like one of the greatest things that helped us through COVID as well, in terms of just that cash flow management. Because yeah. um, then, you know, that we managed to weather that storm, which was great. Um, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, it's really good. You know, I use that word blessing again, but having that kind of stuff up with this American distributor um, has changed your kind of connection with Ryanet, going over, mm. getting the training, meeting the guys, understanding the kit. Having the warehouse is a bit of a shame you know, in terms yeah. of the cost and the overhead, but having that time, which it sounds to me like you just didn't waste, you made the best use of it that you could to learn and get going on the, on the business front is everything because a lot of people start and they, you know, they have a, a, an illogical sense yeah. of how easy business is, especially around getting sales. Um, mm. And then they kind of hit it and it's like, man, that stuff's so hard. I'll just do the printing part and not worry about that. Of course, that doesn't last very long. So it sounds like <laughs> you used the time really well. You kicked off, did you say April 18 when the kit eventually arrived? Yeah. And then two years later, we're in COVID. So you had that two years of, um, is that two years later? Yeah. When did COVID start? Mm. Yeah. Beginning, uh, end, end of 2019. 2019. Yeah. yeah. So you had a couple of years almost to 
get established and you know how did that feel was, it, was that quite fast we worried did you not have too many customers you know what, tell us a bit about how that worked for you um i think it was definitely more on the slower side of things that i would have liked in terms of the growth and everything because um lots of lots of competition when it comes to screen printing um the warehouse location that i picked i think we have three or four three or four almost like in the same kind of block um, no way. yeah wow. i think if you look in terms of the whole area things like that you can probably find about six or seven of them um some of them is very well hidden others is more in terms of functions as a like a middleman in terms of the situation so they sort outsource a lot of their work yep yep um so yeah so the competition was quite high so okay. the amount of growth that i wanted to have wasn't quite there um but i also found there was quite a shortfall in terms of clients level of like education in terms of like what is it that they actually are asking for or mm. what they will receive or mm. you know what it looks like um so for us our real focus was actually just educating people um around what's involved in screen printing and what that looks like what kind of results you'll get um you know what's actual like screen printing and what's actually just like you know final or heat transfers and yeah, things like yeah, that yeah. And where the difference yeah. is so that um, became your kind of distinguishing feature yeah. in a way you actually said hey look we don't just want your shirts and your orders as it were yeah. we want to explain to you what screen printing is and what real screen you know good screen printing is so <laughs> yeah. that water-based story is very important in that right very much very much and the thing is is like i think every single client we've had so far has actually done a walkthrough of our warehouse they've oh, seen wow. every all the pieces of equipment how it all works they have a pretty good understanding in terms of like the work that's involved um with screen printing and i would probably say nine times out of ten people go like whoa i didn't realize it's so much work um, yeah, yeah yeah 10 yeah, times good. out of 10 because you know? yeah, i think that's the biggest thing is is when people like ask for you to do screen printing for them and things like that is is you know the whole negotiating on price or the very simple in terms of how much is a t-shirt um when you educate them on the process and things like that they really do understand that you know it is entirely custom you know, yeah. it, it's not just magically pushing a button and a shirt pops out. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's hours that goes behind producing that. And um, with picking autobase, there's also a lot of heartache in terms of, you know, drying out screens and things like that. Mm. When you start a run, you've got to finish a run. Um, otherwise, you're spending at least 30 minutes, you know, wiping down the screen, cleaning up the ink and things like that, just to take a break to come back again. Um, so, yeah, education was a huge huge factor in terms of you know even if even for us it's like even if a client didn't actually end up coming to us for screen printing services at least we know we've equipped them with the knowledge necessary that they can really ask for what they want and what they can expect from anyone else that can provide that service for them that's good so you kind of use it as an educational thing to sell your brand and the type of ink in this case and process that you're using but it maybe provides that distinctive or distinguishing feature for them when they look at another printer so, well, these guys weren't so open about going into the warehouse and seeing the print shop and understanding the inks and so on i think that's really i've been in business a very long time not not in i've only been in screen printing a few years really but doing different kinds of businesses for years and i think that kind of engagement with a customer will always pay dividends you develop a relationship they know what you like they know that you're not faking it they know that you're into it properly and you understand it and you're going to support them so that's got to pay off so did you start to see that grow and people 
you know, started to develop that relationship with you. They started yeah. to bring in more sales. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I think the large part of just building that education and building those relationships definitely bolstered referrals. Um, just that word of mouth component in terms of business and things like that. I mean, and we've had clients and things with us now since we started. Yeah. Um, yeah. And wow. They kept coming back and they've sent referrals and things like that. And, you know, it's the kind of thing when you meet with them and stuff like that, you don't just talk screen printing and things like that. You talk, we talk live. Live, yeah. Um, yeah, that's which nice. Is really nice. Um, yeah. It does make those situations also really helpful in terms of when there's delays and when there's things, unexpected things that happens. Mm. That open communication makes it a lot easier because they kind of go like, you know, that's cool. There's no rush right now. Or, you know, we kind of facilitate in terms of what that relationship allows us to do. So definitely really good. That's great. And you get that um, loyalty, which is yeah. so important. You get recurring revenue because they're coming back. Um, yeah. You might find, I mean, I small experience, you might find that some of them start to push the envelope a little bit because they have that relationship with you. Um, yeah. And my experience of that is you just have to push back a little <laughs> and just test that friendship, just say, no, you know, that's that's not possible. Um, so with the other screen printers in and around the kind of area that you're in, do you have an open chat or is it all closed doors? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, we found that it's, that's the cut, the, the, the challenge. Um, I have a, like a really great like screen printing friend. Um, he's further down south. He does plaster soles and stuff. He's and our, the only one. Yeah. 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 And, you know, our relationship started in terms of just printing his films for him. Um, yeah, right. And, uh, you know, that's just been really good. So I go over and I help him in terms of like, you know, fine tuning the shop a little bit, you know, registration, you know, registration yeah. and things yeah. like that, just to kind of make his life a little bit easier when it comes to screen printing so that, you know, he can grow. Um, but I've also found that it's, it's, it's um, a very tight-lipped, like, industry in terms of people's willingness to share as you could say trade secrets um you know just just in terms of like you know what's a better way to register your jobs and stuff like that so instead of taking 30 minutes it's you know 10 minutes or five in five minutes or whatever it might be you know or you know what's a great thing in terms of managing your inks and things like that like for myself with waterbase like that you don't have dry screens you know um or what's a more effective way to clean those kinds of things um yeah so you're very much in terms of like just going at it, make as many mistakes as you can, just so that you can figure out what works for you. Yeah. Um, oh, the, yeah. the main thing about the other printers are they've been established for like at least 20 years type of thing. Yeah. So we found that um, in terms of marketing as well, none of them actually do active marketing um, because we've spoken to some uh, marketing agencies in terms of our marketing and how to do that. So They'll look at keywords and things in our area in Perth and they're like, none of these people are actually marketing. So in terms of if we were to step up our marketing, we would actually be miles ahead because they're not actually doing anything. Mm. They've just been established for a very long time. Mm. And a lot of them work on those contract basis where they've just got this contract work, like a bunch of contracts that's like the bread and butter. And then, mm. you know, they don't really focus on like the smaller customized jobs, which is basically what we do. Um, uh, whereas with Jack, oh, yeah, with our friend, um, he literally, yeah, he comes in, him and Tony chat for hours, you know, talk about films, talk about life, work stuff out. Um, and yeah, it's just a, an amazing friendship that's grown. Like we were, we went to their wedding, I think it was last year. Mm. Um, yeah. And, you know, now they're having a baby type of thing and we yeah. just talk about life every time, like we catch up. So I'm going to a baby shower tomorrow. So 
we've just mm-hmm. gotten so close and I think for anyone starting out now that is like probably like they're way more open in terms of like learning and sharing and you know they're not like oh there's not enough for everyone like I have to like keep everything to myself type of thing you know they're mm. way more like share the love yeah that's I right think. And I, I think it's a new era as far as I can kind of calculate because if you look at those shops that have been going for 20 30 years you're kind of pretty much pre-google pre-youtube mm. so yeah. pre-facebook and you know those type these types of trades seem to have a sort of level of gnosticism in them i have the secret knowledge you know i've mm. been doing this since i was five or whatever and, <laughs> and, and, and I, I get that right like it it there is a real art to this it's yeah. it's a very queer technology screen printing that's the way i look at it it's bizarre you don't quite know what's going to happen why that didn't work we had a job yesterday and and the person who, who's the press operator here just could not work out what it was and it, we'd never seen it before you know we're like that's just so bizarre and so you know understanding how that sound familiar to you <laughs> understanding all those little nuances you can see how people build up their secret knowledge but yeah. i think since youtube it's just exploded that yeah and my experience in trying to get this uh, podcast going is that you can have a good conversation with someone on the phone but getting them to come and maybe kind of expose themselves a little bit in terms of their business and the history and so on uh, but to talk about screen printing, it's not going to happen, right? Well, it seems to be really hard. And I was really shocked by that. But I've discovered that um, my theory, at least in talking to a few people, is that the older school screen printers are a bit perplexed that there are so many new companies like yourselves and ourselves and many others wanting to do, hey, I want a screen print. Let's go and learn how to do that. Okay, let's get a press. Let's learn online. Let's give it a go and so on. And that era of people, the era that you're in, want to share the love. They want to share the information and grow and learn and encourage others. And whereas the 30-year-old business is dependent on the dollar more than anything else, right? Especially if they're running into contract, because that can turn, you know, you lost your contract if you're, you know, working on that. Um, Quick anecdote, the first um, guest we had on this show um, is a fellow from Geelong, who actually coincidentally sold up and moved up the road from where we are here. And so he, he gave us a ring and said, hey, you got any jobs? And we were like, no, we don't. Uh, but he's been screen printing for 25, 23 years, I think it is. And I said, but come in, you know, and meet us. He was yeah. just wonderful. He just wanted to share everything and, you know, was really open to helping us understand certain types of inks. And have you thought of doing this or reducing that or adding some barrier base or whatever it may be? Just brilliant. But it's pretty rare <laughs> that you'd yeah. find someone from that generation of, of time screen printing to do that. I guess given COVID as well, people maybe feel even more vulnerable. People have gone that were here before that. Um, didn't survive um, in our own town there's um, only one other screen printer so there's a number of sign shops it's a very small town we're national we don't we do a bit here but it's not our focus and uh, we're more online um, so there's a few screen sorry there's a few print shops that are doing signs and you know car wraps and those sorts of things and they generally outsource their work to us if they get a customer and that's fine but there is one other company that um 
dust screen print as well as um, all the, the typical signage. And they actually came in the other day and asked whether we wanted to buy their business because um, it had been sort of diminishing. And I think what's actually happening with the university here, and um, I guess a lot of the colleges from the university have started coming to us. Um, you don't really know how big your market is locally. Um, so it looks like inadvertently we sort of put him out of business uh, in the screen printing end of what he does. And I felt pretty bad about that, but I also thought maybe I should have dialogued with this guy a bit more and, you know, said, you know, we can do that kind of work for you. Or maybe you could do this for us and create some kind of partnership thing, but that never happened, unfortunately. But um, I also think just to say that the old school screen printers, um, there's a kind of paradox in this for me because, you know, it's, it's an art-based trade, right? It's an artisan type trade. And so it's got people in it that are artists to some degree, right? Whether it's digital or, or the final print, they're working how to manage inks and all that sort of stuff. Um, but in spite of that, it's actually a very conservative business. You know, we do this, we've always done it this way. Or you want me to try a new product? No, sorry, we're into printing shorts or whatever it may be. And that's stifling for business because in my limited experience, the number one thing you need to be in any business is adaptable. Mm. Adaptable to market changes, to economic changes, to your own changes and grow. And you know, you might end up printing something totally different to what you thought you'd do on, on new markets. And mm. conservative businesses struggle to flex and change and adapt. And so um, it may be interesting to see what happens there. Anyway, I digress. Okay, so I'm going to have to jump back because I did read on, I think it was an Instagram post, Lizanne, that you weren't planning to go into screen printing. You'd graduated in a science degree and I took did. an interim job with a screen printer. Is that right? Is that how it happened? <laughs> yeah, no, I come, from a, I come from a science background, basically. My mum was a science teacher. Um, so I grew up with it my whole life. My sister became a nurse and yeah, I became an exercise physiologist. Yeah. Um, basically, I just, in my last year of uni, Tony was starting the business um, and we had just gotten engaged as well uh, in the start of 2017. Um, and I was always helping him because obviously like, oh, I work, I started really early. And then I would finish at like two, three o'clock and then I'd come to the office, you know, because he's here, you know, working with the business course or doing something. He was always doing something here. So I was here always helping him out with this and that. Um, and yeah, so I started working in ex-phys jobs uh, after I graduated. And about a year later, um, I got, how, how, how do I say that? Um, Gracefully asked to move on to other <laughs> ventures um yeah so I because I, I worked about 45 minutes away from where I lived okay. and they were always promising me like oh you'll, we'll put you closer to home we'll put you closer to home and it just never happened and so I started looking for work closer to home and I did what I thought a good employee should do and let them know like listen if you get a call it's because I'm just looking for work closer to home right you know and then the next day I was basically like, cool, you're finishing up in two weeks. Oh, and I was wow. like, okay. okay, great, thanks guys. Um, yeah. yeah, so that was quite a shock. 
Um, but luckily I was like financially, I was okay. I had about like three months worth of savings. So I basically just took three months off um, work in that just because of the job I was in. Um, yeah, it was a bit, it was, there was a lot of like, um, I guess I worked with veterans, like war veterans. So guys that went to Vietnam and all that sort of stuff. Um, and the psychological load of that, I wasn't prepared for. They never prepared us at uni for that type of thing. Because you kind of inherit that through the interaction with yeah, them. Yeah, you're basically okay. like their therapist. As you're working with them, you know, they're telling you all their issues and all their war stories and everything. Okay. So, um, and a lot of them obviously still struggle with a lot of psychological stuff. So, um, yeah, I just decided to take three months off. Um, I think at that stage, your equipment had arrived. Yeah, it would have it would yeah, have arrived, just, just yeah. Arrived, yeah. So yeah, I was just I was basically here every day working, helping him out and stuff. And then later that year, um, he had built the business to the point where it's like, well, cool, I actually need help. Like it's it's mm. getting to that point where I can't manage it all by myself. And yeah, I started working with him. So mm. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, is like part of it as well is is like with the like when she left her previous work, the non-compete kind of thing that they had in there is like was almost like a 15 kilometer radius from that workplace, <laughs> which kind of put it that she could only get work right by basically where she lived um, at the time. And that made it very, very difficult. And so, like she said, like I grew to the point where I was like, I need help um and we just had the opportunity that we work really really well together because that's that's like our number one question that we always get when we say we're a husband and wife team running I was gonna ask together this, yeah yeah you know it's just like oh how's that and things like that it's just like you know you can ask me screen printing questions i'm happy to answer those and things like that and like we always get the husband and wife team questions <laughs> that's always the uh, first question yeah which i mean honestly it's, it's like I'll, i kind of do like that question um because it, it helps me realize in terms of when it comes to family run businesses, um, how people view those. Um, because again, it's like when you work with family and things are like, like, how do you fire a family member when they're not doing what they're supposed to do? Mm, yeah. You know, the, the, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and it, so it's like when you finish as well at the end of the day, like, how do you close off and go home and not still think and talk about work? Mm. um and that was like a major challenge in terms of all of that but we just kind of realized as well is you know a healthy marriage is around communication um the same in terms of working with people in business and you know clients and things like that communication is really the key of it um but that's and, how we met as well yeah. working together in a creative team yeah, yeah um, okay so and, we had background in terms of working together so yeah. we were really really good at doing that anyways um and we you know marriage didn't complicate that so that was always a bonus um but at the end of the day is is we just identified each other's strengths and allowed us to to operate within that yeah um and there was a lot of grace in terms of within that as well because we were both still learning and growing in sure. both those aspects um and that's why she handles the client side of things because she's really good with people she's really good in terms of communicating with them i'm the one that's stuck at the warehouse in the back I'm happy to talk about screen printing, happy to give tours and things like that. Um, well, but, but when someone asks me how much does a shirt cost, I'm, I'm not as, as personal <laughs> as, she, as, as, as she can be. Um, so, so, you know, we kind of just like, well, well, that's your strength work in that area. And, and I would definitely say the business has um, exceeded my expectations in terms of growth since she's came on board. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, honestly, like I do enjoy that question because it just gets me to reflect in terms of um, what a privilege it is to be able to work with your wife because like the challenge in terms of like when you go work at nine to five and you both kind of like don't get a lot of time together, it kind of puts like a bit of a challenge in there. Um, but, you know, yeah, being sure. at an office all day, every day, um, it has its own, its own challenges and things like that because it's like you know when 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 you have a fight with 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 your employee or with your you know with a business partner and things like that it's like it's it's harder when it's your wife yeah um, for sure you know you can't but, go home and ignore it right like <laughs> yeah, yeah it's kind of go, it goes home with you it goes home with you so um, i mean you know how do you because you know business is a very consuming thing you know it's capitalism and and the drive that business requires, marketing, sales, all the infrastructure and so on can be very uh, mentally taxing, like continually. Do you have that problem at home, as it were? Or are you able just to go home and say, look, you know, we're going to watch a movie now. We're going to go out for a meal or whatever. We're going to chill now and not talk about business. Or does it creep in? Like, how does that work for you? It does sometimes. We did try the whole thing in terms of like when we clock off at, you know, five o'clock or six o'clock, depending on like in terms of client interactions and things that, you know, business is now done. That was more my struggle and yeah. not replying, you know, late at night to emails or sending quotes and stuff like that as a personal boundary I had to put in mm. because that's, I even did that in my previous job as well. Um, but then, yeah, in terms of talking about business and stuff, we had to work hard to put that boundary in place. Yeah. Yeah. because it sometimes it can very easily escalate from just a conversation to a very strong discussion and then yeah. your night's kind of ruined type of thing so yeah. yeah which is very very hard when you're running your traditional business you know yeah. like when you're when you're the business owner it's very hard to be able to create that separation mm -hmm. um because you know you're worrying about you know where the next dollar is coming from you know mm -hmm. you're gonna make you know you have to make sure there's enough cash flow and that everyone gets paid and you know all those kinds of things so it's very hard to just kind of go like, well, five o'clock or six o'clock, I'm done. Um, it's, you know, you're the best employee in your business. You know, you're the number one employee, regardless of how many employees you have, because you put in the most hours, you put in the most work, yep. you take the most risk, all those kinds of things. Yep. Um, so what we found that works really, really well for us is that our number one relationship is our hours, you know, between the two of us first. Um, so we tend to put that first in the mornings um, before we even get to work. So that if in the evenings work creeps in and things like that it doesn't put a strain because we've already yeah, allocated yeah, and we've already good. you know given each other that time um so we tend to go to the beach every morning you know it's a bit harder now with the cold weather and the rain and everything like that um but we you know we can sit in the car with a coffee or something like that yeah some time together away from home having a, having a date really in a sense and having that yeah. other time and yeah that's really smart i, I really like that idea it sounds yeah, yeah. It allows us to work till seven, eight, nine o'clock at night, you know, because yeah. we know we've spent time together, like we've filled each other's tank and then, you know, that's, we're good to go. Then we can focus on the next thing. Um, yeah. yeah. So there must have been a time, you know, when I'm trying to put together the pieces of the way this has happened for you to get it right. Um, you guys met, you got engaged at one point, at some point. And then during that period, you decided, Tony, to start this business in an area that, yeah, was arts related. Graphic design is clearly a major feed into that, but you'd never printed a T-shirt in your life. You set up your business plan. You'd invested the capital. There was this long wait for various reasons. And then there was this great opportunity to do all this um, learning how business works. 
but you had an empty warehouse. Now, as that was happening, you were leaving your job. <laughs> was there a moment when you kind of looked at each other and thought, what are we doing here? This Is this too much? Or were you just, no, we're going to do this. It's going to be okay. Look, I mean, I, I, she, she can answer that question in terms of her perspective. But for myself, <laughs> it, at the time, it's like, now looking back, it's like, yeah, definitely. But it's definitely like, we kind of threw everything together at one go. You know, there was planning a wedding and, you know, yeah. paying for that. There is running a business that's not really running because there's no equipment to actually run it. You know, there is, you know, this, the struggles that she was going through for work and then actually leaving it. And, you know, then that, that period in terms of like, well, now we're one income short type of thing. And, you know, all of those complexities that's going within that. Um, but it's, it's, it's a weird thing though, because now it just kind of goes, it's like, it didn't feel as difficult then. then it wasn't it wasn't as hard um because i think we both have very much a growth mindset in the sense of like oh like well let's just figure it out yeah. you know this is not working we tried it let's try something different um and that's definitely helped me a lot in the screen printing as well because like with printing with water based you're gonna have a lot of things go wrong <laughs> and randomly you know, it's like, I've printed this, like I've printed one color jobs, like that's my bread and butter. Why is this one color going wrong? It's not even like a four color or a six color or something. Like that. It's a one color. This is supposed to be like easy, but it's just not working. You know? Um, even yesterday, printed a one color <laughs> and used the wrong ink. It was like, we've printed this design so many times before. And it's like, we looked at it, we're like- That's a bit darker than it's supposed to be. <laughs> You know? And then we're like, oh, yep, no, it's the wrong one. <laughs> you know, and in, in, in those situations and stuff, you can just kind of go like, you know, you've got two options because you've got the freedom of it. It's just going to go like, well, that's the end of the day. We're just going to clean up and things like that. We'll tackle it tomorrow yeah, yeah. and things like that. And it's just kind of like, you know, stress is a bit high. You know, we've got like a massive influx of work. So we've got some time pressures and things coming in and stuff. And so you're just not thinking clearly. So just stopping for an hour or two or just closing off for the day you know, you have the freedom of making that choice. Mm. You obviously have to make up that time at some point. So you're probably sacrificing your Saturday or you're, you know, yeah. you're sacrificing, you know, a late night where you're working until three or four o'clock in the morning. Um, but, you know, that's that's the, the territory of running your own business. Um, at least you don't have to explain to each other why, you know, yeah. both in that. I think there's a real power in having that kind of adversity of timing and, you know, changing jobs, losing a salary, this empty warehouse, stock, not, uh, sorry, the kit not being there and so on, has sort of really built a power up in you to drive you forward. It's probably gonna, you know, be the strength for you going forward and, and growing and growing and growing. Let's talk about um, the actual art of screen printing or rather maybe some of those challenges. You went to the United States, you had some training, you got super enthused, um, hopefully they, they told you how easy screen printing is. And then oh, you, oh, yeah. <laughs> Just landed that on. It's just the easiest thing you'll ever do. You know? And then, but, you, you know, yeah. When you got it's, back it's, it's, and your first order came through, you know, what kind of issues did you face? Like one of the things I'm interested for this podcast is for people that are get, trying to get started. You know, what are the pitfalls? What do I need to do? What don't I need to do? What do I need to buy? What don't I need to buy? What kind of issues do you think you face? Do you, do you remember any of them? Yeah. Oh, do I? 
Um, Very clearly. I think, <laughs> I think to be consistent, yeah, like I said as well, it's just like to be consistent in terms of the printing side of things, it probably took me a good 300 garments. You so know, your dad like, placed the first order for yeah. shirts for his business. For, my, for his business and things like that to kind of give me that opportunity to kind of figure it out and things like that as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Um, Three color back I definitely did make, Yeah, I definitely make no money on that. For my first job, that's quite a complex <laughs> job. Um, it, it cost me more than I made out of it. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, like what I learned out of it was definitely worth it. Yeah. Um, because I would say like, if you want to go easy, and I think that's also with like the biggest screen printers and stuff like that, why they feel very threatened, maybe is it like a bit of a, you know, harsher word, but it's because of like the, the barrier of entry for screen printing. Mm-hmm. Right now to get into screen printing, it's actually very easy. Um you know, you, you can get yourself a simple one color or two color press, tabletop, you know, go plaster. So, you know, out kit like a shed in the backyard that's got your dark room and things like that in it, print in your garage and you're off, off to the races. Um, that's not the decision I made though. Um, and with that came a lot of struggles and things like that in terms of figuring out like how long to cure something for so that it's, you know, tack dry and that you can actually put a color over the top if you're doing a white underbase. It was dark um, garments too. So obviously okay. that vibrancy yeah. on the dark garments yeah. was a big challenge. You know, and then, you know, figuring out that, you know, with, you know, doing a wash test and stuff and then realizing that all of the color washed off and you've just got the white base and you go like, mm, I overcured the over-cured. white, yeah. Yeah. you know, those kinds of things. So, so it was like massive hurdles when it comes to that. And I think, you know, lots of frustration as well. Um, but in the result though, came through in terms of going like, all of that struggle, the result that I ended up with, I was like super proud of when I actually did figure it out and things yeah. like that. Because even though I went for the training, the training was very focused on plaster salt printing. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So if you wanted to get started, even though you want to end up with water base, I definitely suggest starting off with plaster salt just to get, you know, figure out like how do you register a screen? How do you expose a screen? You know, how do you get those fine details? How do you do multicolor prints? All those kinds of things before you add the complexity of water base. Um, because it's a whole different ball game. Um, you know, you, you can't walk away from the screen for more than five minutes. You know, you, uh, yes, you can get like finer details and things like that because the ink is a lot thinner and things like that. But then you've got issues in terms of vibrancy that comes through in terms of how thin the ink is and how many, you know, layers you want to lay on it and, you know, how to do an underbase. So there's a lot of things to consider with waterbase. Um, and for myself as well, it's just like I chose to get that massive kit and start in a warehouse and things like that because the equipment that I got, I knew that would give me consistency. Yep. Um, I can guarantee the result that I'll get once I've learned. You know, I've got a dedicated dark room and things like that. I've got a controlled washout area that's separated. You know, I've got, you know, the right conveyor dryer. I've got the right exposure unit, you know, that gives me consistent results, you know, the registration and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, and certain things I would definitely do differently. You know, I'd probably say like, you know, starting from your garage is not such a bad idea. Um, <laughs> just because of the costs and stuff that is involved, you know, yeah, you allow yourself to grow more organically that way. Um, when it comes to equipment and things like that, I'd say, um, your biggest thing is going to be to get a good quality dryer. Honestly, conveyor dryer would be the best one to go for and things like that. Washout booths and dark rooms and things like that, those are very easy to set up. Um, you, but the thing is, in terms of properly curing shirts and things like that, that's where your biggest cost will go is if it goes wrong. Um, because that's where people complain. 
you know, yeah. it's, it's also like, you know, my shirts, you know, started to crack or, you know, started to wash out or, you know, it's fading really quickly. And things like that. a lot of the times that's, that's drying issues, you know, that's curing issues. Um, so if you've got a good, cause I like, I mean, a lot of people starts looking at like heat guns and, things like that, and it works to a point, but it's not consistent. You know, you don't evenly cure everything and stuff like that. And you don't know if you missed something, you know, and that's the areas that's going to start cracking and stuff like that, you know, or fading or washing out or whatever the issue may be. Um, and and, yeah, the drying or the curing and then the registration was probably your biggest issues yeah. right at the start. And the thing is, it's like with dryers and stuff, you're kind of generally looking at three-phase power and stuff like that to run that. And that's quite expensive to put into a house if you don't have a house built in the 60s, mm. you know, that already has three-phase running to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm like, in terms of going automatic and things like that as well, I've like looked at going Anatol. Um, and that's purely because a lot of their equipment and things like that isn't three-phase. Mm. You know, you can plug it in the wall and you can get, you know, good to go and type of thing and stuff like that as well. So it makes it a lot easier in terms of if you don't have to do all that electrical work. Um, is that, you say Anatole's the direction you might want to go when you go up to auto? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's yeah. definitely what I'm considering and things like that as well in terms of being able to get their equipment here and things like that. Um, yeah. I have looked at M&R, um, but for me, the, like the barrier in terms of with getting their equipment and stuff like that is a little bit too much for what, you know, in terms of what Anatole offers. Because they still get it from the US, don't they? Yeah, everything comes everything comes from the US these days. <laughs> so, okay. You yeah. know, that's the because that's the thing as well. It's just like when you look at the materials that you use and the products that you use and things like that, to start off with like find things that's easy to to source. Mm. You know, you don't want to have to go like, okay, well, I need to wait three months for increased supply, you know, which means if you don't time it right, then because you don't know yet, like when you start off, you don't know how long ink is gonna last you, how much you actually use on a print you know all those kinds of things to kind of go like well i've got three months left let me order some new so i actually have some that arrives in time yeah you know so go local um as much as you can i mean with the local economy and things like that as well um which is always great um but i definitely say yeah dryer is like a massively good investment uh, because especially yeah. when you're looking at you know when you get better and you get more proficient and stuff like that the units that you start producing starts exceeding the rate at which you can cure them and then you start, you know, a 20 shirt job can take you four hours just because you, you know, you're trying to like heat gun dry it or heat press dry it, you know, cure yeah. it or whatever it might be. Where with a conveyor dryer, you know, you can get that done within 30 minutes to an hour, depending on, you know, on what the complexities of the job. So how did you go exposing your first screen and blowing it out? Because that's that the was... other side that we, we haven't discussed yet. Which gives yes. five people completely mad. Well, the thing is, is like for myself in terms of when it comes to that, I've actually talked to a few that's done like, you know, starting in their garage and things like that. And that's one of the things that they like they struggle with the most. Um, I have a vacuum exposure unit, um, which that just basically makes it like a non-issue. Um, I don't remember you ever having huge issues with that. The biggest one that I had struggle with and things like that is, is really learning how do your vacuum exposure unit works um, and dialing in that exposure times. Yeah. Um, which for me, the advantage is, is like it's eight seconds, <laughs> you know, which in terms of exposure time to get it to be able to wash out and not blow out the whole screen. It's like yeah. really, really quick, yes. you know. So my screen prep time is really, really low, um, which like, you know, saves me a lot of time. What um, kind of emulsion you, are you using? Um, I'm using, I'm trying to remember now. 
because um, we have a local Aussie screen printing supplies and sort of where we get them from. Um, THX or something? Do you want to go on the page with it? Um, yeah, just give me one second. I'll just go, go take a look with it. Sure. Yeah, no problem at all. This is great. What an amazing story you guys have got. It's really good. Thank you. Yeah, it's different. It's nice to see people plan to set up a business, plan to invest from the beginning and yeah. go for it, you know? Yeah, no, that's Tony to a T. Um, he is the ultimate planner. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I use um, Murakami, um, PhotoQ2XR, um, and I, it's the pre-activated, so I don't have to put any dyes in it. Um, it's I just got a high solid way. content as well, if I remember correctly, yeah. Yeah, so it's a quick exposure. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is as well, it's just like because I print with water-based, water is a universal solvent. Mm. Um, so you tend to get a lot of screen breakdowns, issues and things like that as well with, with water-based. Um, so, you know, you've got post-hardening that you have to do and you have to make sure that you use a water-based emulsion in terms of like, you know, that gives you that, that screen fastness. And because I reclaim screens, I don't have like, like permanent screens in terms of like exposure once and it's permanently sits there for clients. Yeah. Um, and that's just part of the things in terms of, you know, smaller business, you know, don't have that volume and things like that. So saving or permanent screens and things like that is more of a costly venture. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think the biggest one in terms of like with screens and stuff like that is making sure that the emulsion has dried properly before you look at exposing it. Um, because depending on the thickness of the emulsion that you put in, sometimes it's not all the way dried through. And then you get like this gooey mush type of thing going on and <laughs> that gets mixed in with your ink. You can start like getting your white going like this pink hue and stuff going on as well. Even yeah. if you did get it washed out and stuff. So I leave it at like a minimum of 24 hours to 48 hours type of thing to sit in there drying properly before I even consider using the screen. Yeah, um, okay. And do you, I mean, consistency on the coating is the issue there, isn't it? And do you have a particular yeah. way of coating and make sure you always do it the same way? Because um, some shops, you know, there's only two of you, I know, but do you share the coating? Because that can become an issue, you know. Not, no? Okay, well, that's good. Right? <laughs> I, I, have, I haven't learned that part to do. I could pretty much do everything else, but I haven't actually um, tried to learn the, the coating because sometimes it's, like the time it takes to learn versus him just doing 16 quickly is, yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if it needs to be like, I can learn and, and get to it, but yeah. yeah, at the moment he's just like 10 minutes and he'll have them all done. So yeah. 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 Correct. Cause a large part as well is just like in terms of the scoop credit that you use and stuff like that, I use the thicker end so that I can get a bit more of a, you know, a thicker you know, well in it. Yeah. So that, you know, I've got more incoming down and that's just a preference for water-based as well. Um, but I found like if if you put too much emulsion in the scoop coder and things like that, when you're actually trying to like cover your screens, it's like you can have emulsion no, pouring out say. the sides, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or you get too thick of a coat, and then what happens is you lay your screens in to go dry, mm -hmm. and then you come back and you've got droplets. these droplet marks and stuff like that all yeah. around your screen yeah. and things, and you're like, well, this I can't use, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and you've got ten screens that you now have to go and reclaim so you can re, yeah. you know, oh, emulsify them. The hazing is probably one of the things we struggle with the most yeah that's also switching the thing. over yeah. to permaset yeah so in terms of like also in terms of washing out your ghosting and shadows and stuff like that of like print jobs and things that's the biggest one that i've also found in terms of like 
you know, with your cleanups. Um, because what happened, what I found is what happens is like, if you have ghosting with water-based, it makes it so much easier for that ink to dry and bond to that, to mm -hmm. that ghost. So what you can actually end up is not your screens don't want to clear out very well when you're printing. Yeah. Um, so you had like dehazing pretty much every single time after I, when I clear okay. the screens, wow. I get those shadows out. Um, and it's balancing to not damage the screen with the dehazer. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. We're using a pretty good one at the moment, but it doesn't seem to. Like black ink is like, you yeah. know, that one's like your arch nemesis when it comes to shadows <laughs> and stuff like that on it, you know, yeah. you're almost yeah. never going to get them out. Um, yeah. But I found like that one doesn't seem to like want to bond the other inks and stuff like that while you're printing as much. So, you know, I'm like really lucky in that situation. Um, so what? But it also makes registration really hard. Makes it harder, did you say? Yeah, so it makes registration, your job's really, really hard when you have that ghosting because distinguishing in terms of where your registration marks actually sits to your marks on your platen and all those oh, kinds of things. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it's just not as clear. Yeah, so it just depends the system that you use because I use uh, platen tape and then I basically mark my, you know, registration lines in terms of where I would register with. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, sometimes you can't clearly see those lines through the ghosting and stuff like that. So it makes registration a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just keeps things a bit interesting. You know? yeah. <laughs> Check out your day, guys. Yeah. Listening to that discussion, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier on about consistency, starting with the right kit, getting the, the process right, getting those variables dialed in, and then just maintaining that is the key. And the same is true with the emulsion. Um, I'm still the coder, the person who does all the coding. I don't print anymore. I print occasionally on the manual for plastisol transfers and things like that something odd and different um, but i'm still the person that does all the coating because um we have everything dialed to the way sam does the coating so we've got a, a young lad that we're trying to train up in various areas and yesterday i was saying to him hey i need to teach you how to coat and i could see he was terrified you know oh, wow, that stuff you do with the um but i in my head i was thinking yeah and then we're gonna have to redial all of the the timings for the exposure unit and the washout's going to check, you know, and yeah. the thickness of the the um, the stencil's going to change. Um, again, plastisol's a little bit more, um, what's the word, forgiving in its uh, work on a screen. Um, dehazing for us is is pretty straightforward. It doesn't need to be done too often. Um, again, black ink's a real, you know, criminal in in that area. Red is also nasty. White's a piece of cake, drops out. Um, but then we can't put any of that stuff down the drain, right? Like we've got to yeah. really be careful with that. We we ship out all those chemicals and they're treated in the Hunter Valley. And so we have to pay for that, but we feel it's you know necessary. Um, but that thing about consistency is everything. Um, for you guys, um, what, what kind of screen mesh count would you use? I mean, presumably you use a different range, but... Typically, what would you use for, let's say, an underbase? Would you use a 43? Would you use a 77? Where would you pitch that? Funny story. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, because we're using uh, Premiset Supercover and things like that, we don't tend to need to do an underbase in terms of like with printing and things like that, because, oh, you know, okay. they just give you really good color, vastness, and stuff like that. Vibrancy so, even really like a, a red on a black t shirt? Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. um, it's literally just a print flash print. Um, and the vibrancy wow. comes out really, really good. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and that just <laughs> like that saves you a lot of yeah, yeah, very much. 
very much. Um, we have been talking about possibly like learning to do under bases and see how that will all fit in yeah. because of certain like, yeah, because of the vibrancy and sometimes um, with Tony like that, like he said, the print flash print, we have to see like with bigger quantities, if printing a underbase, flashing, then a color, and then the next, if there's multiple colors, maybe doing an underbase instead of doing the print flash print will actually speed up the process. It will. Um, it will yeah. definitely. So yeah. that's yeah. what we're looking into at the moment. Yeah, because mm -hmm. the thing is, is like when it's with super cover in terms of multiple colors and things like that, because of the, the thickness of that ink to give you that vibrancy on darker garments, it basically means that when you flash it, it's, it's quite tacky afterwards. And so you can get some pull up on the screen, like it literally, it'll stick to the screen. Mm. Um, so you have to make sure that it cools down probably so it doesn't actually pull mm. up like that, um, which means that it just slows down everything exactly. a lot more. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because you're now printing with water-based and you've got three screens, you can't print slowly. Yeah. Um, so you find yourself basically, you know, cause I've got an eight station, which is kind of handy. I print one color eight, then clean I can up. clean the screen, then I do the next color eight, clean oh, the wow. screen okay. and yeah. things like that. So it makes wow. time significantly slow. So if, got, if I've got like 200 shirts that I have to print, that's a two color, you know, that's, that's a two to three day endeavor um, wow. just to kind of make sure that I could that, get that color vibrancy and, you know, I don't have issues with registrations and all yeah. those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, like, yeah, it takes a lot of time, but at least I know the quality of the product that I then produce within that time. And I don't have to deal with, you know, my prints looking hairy or anything like that. I can just basically go like, yep, it's consistent. It's the exact result. Um, but now it's put me in a position where like, okay, well, our consistency of getting those kinds of quantities in a single order is now starting to ramp up. Mm. So going under base with wet on wet printing is probably worth my time to actually go and say, well, let's figure this system out. You know, get some, you know, spare time, maybe invest an evening or something like that to get that mm. sorted. Mm. Um, because yeah, it does take a lot of, a lot of time in terms of getting that organized. I guess there's going to be a pressure on you as the business grows, you know, to the next step to work out how to make that faster. I mean, that's the, that's when the question about the auto starts to knock on the door, I guess, but with the question around the auto, you've got the same issue in terms of making sure, I guess you're missing, if you're going to stick with waterbase, you're missing all of those screens because you can't go back and clean them all out. But the main benefit is that when that t-shirt comes around, it's done, yeah. you know, and that's, you know, not going to take very long. Right. So the question might arise for you. Why am I working till 1am every morning now? Um, and my arms are falling off. My elbows are hurting and my shoulders are, you know, my wrists are hurting and so on. And it does happen. Like you guys are young. I can tell you after printing for four years on a manual myself, you know, I'm in my 50s, so it's a bit different, right? But um, I, you know, I went and printed some transfers yesterday and my, my wrist hurt. I only did a couple of hundred, my wrist hurting. Yeah. Um, and the thing about growth in a business when it's process oriented, you know, if, if you're graphic designing, you can only ever get through what you get through. It's a cerebral, it's an art, it's a tech, technical um, thing so you can only ever do what you can um, you might try and fit more in it might degrade the quality of the output but there's a limit but with a process driven um, manufacturing piece of business the processes can get faster and faster the problem is if they don't become more efficient with a bigger input 
it just taxes the people at the other end. Yeah. So taking that, if you're earning, let's say 400 grand, for example, a year, and you double to 800,000, that's huge. Yeah. But if you then double again, it's monumental, right? And yeah. so working out, I think, when to, to make that jump is critical. Um, but you'll know that in the sense that you'll start working to 1 a.m. every morning just to keep mm. these things going or you lose a customer because you couldn't fit the job in or whatever it may be. And I really love manual printing. I like a, the concept, the reality, the experience, the, the control. That's really important in terms of um, like yesterday we were teaching uh, one of the guys here to load. <laughs> I felt really bad for him. Um, what was it? We've got a customer, a big concrete company that just buys the, we normally don't print on other people's garments. There's a couple of customers. Oh no, we get the best. They buy the worst hundred percent polyester high vis, you know, it's just, uh, uh, can't put a print flash print on that. And, uh, <laughs> I was teaching him to load and, you know, it was his first time loading a hoodie, <laughs> let alone these awful things. And he, it was dead slow, understandably. And he said, what, do, what would you say the major differences from running this on this kind of job to running the manual? And I thought, well, what is the difference? And I just said, you're in total control. Mm, you might yeah. think, well, you should be on an auto, but the fact is the auto is going to move in six seconds. If you don't mm. have your act together, you know, and by the I'm time, sure you know, 12 yeah. have come around and the print's no good. You know, so yep. being able to see straight away when you lift that screen uh, actually needs another hit or, you know, something quite, yeah. you put more pressure on it. That control is lovely. I love that. Mm. But there comes a point when you kind of have to say, hmm, I'm knackered. I'm exhausted. I can't keep doing this. You know, do we have the revenue to, to support mm. that? Um, and then you're into a different kind of world in terms of the issues that come up. Um, but that sounds like it's going to happen to you. I mean, that's one of my questions, you know, how do you feel about the next stage for you? And what do you think that is just more capacity, getting some more staff or moving towards getting an auto or staying as you yeah. are buying a second press or second manual? You know, how do you feel that is I in mean, terms of your planning? I definitely am thinking about it quite a lot at the moment. Um, in terms of like, what's my growth plan? Like, how am I expanding my capacity? You know, how do I streamline things so that, you know, I can output faster? Um, and the struggle really sits between in terms of realizing that, you know, I want to be able to create job opportunities. You know, I want to be able to employ right. people so that they can also financially support their families, whatever their background right. might be. Yeah. Um, but it's also that realization that, you know, you've got, as, as a business, you have that 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 tug within your within yourself in terms of realizing that yeah okay getting a piece of equipment is cheaper you know um, you only have to pay for it once um, there is personal you know learning time you know in terms of how to operate that piece of equipment but once you have you know that that time period is, is a lot shorter than having to train a, a person you know to do that type of thing um, and so like I do have like that point where you know another person would be more beneficial than a piece of equipment. Um, and so for me, in terms of when it comes to a growth plan, it's definitely getting the, you know, automatic like quartz flash. That'd be my next upgrade. Yeah. Where I don't have to think about my flash times. I don't have to think about yep. it in terms of yep. like, how long has it been under there? It automatically turns off when it's done, you know, and then I just go to make sure that it automatically turns on all those kinds of things. Um, and that'll automatically, for me, 
increase my output because I can then keep printing and I don't have to count six seconds so that I don't either want, you know, overheat the garment or overcure or any of those kinds of issues. Um, and I don't feel like I'm rushed because like you said, the beauty of manual is you're in full control. But as soon as you've got a flash there sitting there over the platen, you're feeling rushed, which means it minimizes your control. Yeah. Um, you know, and th that's also a piece of equipment that will work really well with an auto. You know, you plug it in and it works the same way it did before. Yeah. Um, upgrade after that would definitely be the, the, the dryer, you know, and all of these things is basically also upgrades in terms of price points. You know, the next one will be the dryer because now I'll be able to print faster, which means, yes, yes, you know, I'll be able to put things on a dry on a belt faster. So I need a longer dryer. So I've got a longer, you know, duration, which the, the shirts can dwell. So I can actually up the belt speed, yeah. you know, all those little things, you know, forced air is like, you know, better ones so that it, you know, actually cures water-based more efficiently. Um, and then looking at an auto. But I would say that before an auto, I would probably look at employing someone. Yeah. Um, purely because then when I do get an auto, I can run both presses at the same time. Yeah. You know, they can work on the manual or, you know, they can work on the auto where they just literally have to load shirts on and off, you know, for like a simple one color job, max maybe two in terms of like the larger quantities, you know, that type of things is the stuff that I'm thinking about now, you know, yeah. in terms of like, I know what my growth plan is, but what does it look like when the auto is ready to come? Yeah. Um, because you've also got smart. like, you know, like a six month window before the order actually arrives from when you order it. Because a lot of places longer. actually <laughs> manufacture on order, you know. So, you know, they make it for you when you order it. It's not just sitting in the warehouse, they're ready to be shipped as soon as you order. Yeah. Um, you know, especially with autos. Manuals, sometimes you can get off the floor, you know, they, they're pre manufactured or they just basically assemble it for you and then they send it off because all the parts is done. Um, but autos, not so lucky. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think so, our auto we ordered in. I think we ordered that in maybe May last year, maybe April last year, and we got it in January. And, wow, okay. Um, yeah, I guess some of that might be a bit more of the kind of COVID backlog. Ships weren't moving very quickly and getting stuck here, there, and everywhere, but it's pretty depressing. Um, the other thing I was going to speak into is that thing about staff, because what you've got to remember when you go to an auto, assuming you've got the right tunnel dryer, is that you're printing much, much, much faster. And so you need a catcher, you need a loader, you need an unloader if you're going to do high volume. And that means, you know, get, I, I think your planning is really good. Like the, the quartz dryer, I would do tomorrow. I'd say, guys, go get one of those tomorrow. Don't spend big money on that. Just get a cheap Chinese one. We've got three of those here. We've also got the... The, the one that comes with the auto, can't remember what it's called, um, which is fantastic. And I'll talk about that maybe later, but um, go get a quartz now, do it tomorrow, go, go online. You can get them from Sydney, cheap Chinese ones, a grand thereabouts. Uh, that will give you brilliant control as you already realize um, and confidence that you're never gonna burn a platen or set fire to a t-shirt and you can just, dial that in really well like we used to get that down on plastisol to six seconds you know six second flash let's move six let's move and we we'd feed someone would load and they'd catch as well and someone else would box and we put out manually even two colors we'd do 100 an hour but to do that seven hours is murder 
um, but maybe not so for you guys. Um, so I think that's, I'd go, yeah, go do that tomorrow, guys. You know, get that money and do it because you won't look back. Sell the old one. Um, I'll give you some advice on those as well, on, on the quartz ones as well. But um, I think you're right. The next thing is staff. If you've got that need, then you can generally crank everything you've got up as much as you can, trying to keep that consistency and quality right. But you're going to need that person that I just call them like a gopher. Go get that, go box that, go count that, go um, pick that stock, you know, what's missing, what's happened there, check the quality, whatever, do the running. Because what you'll find is because you're integral to production yourselves, the people you need around you either have to learn production, which is going to happen, but it's going to take time, or have to just keep you printing. Mm. If, if you've got a team that can keep that carousel turning and T-shirts coming off, then you're maximizing your revenue. Yeah. So you can talk those things as much as you can, but you need those people. Then when you jump to an auto, what you will find is instantly your production will fall through the floor. Your production will almost go to zero. You'll tear your hair out. You'll, you'll just say, why do we do this? This is crazy money. What were we thinking? This is so slow. You know, it doesn't happen on YouTube. Um, and part of the problem is understanding, well, first of all, setup time. If you're using a film and whatever template-based type model you use, we have a particular system that we just built ourselves and use and works really well. Um, Setup time is so painful. Initially, you know, I remember when we got our first eight color job, which is for a dance um, group that we do quite regularly. So we knew the job. We're like, oh yeah, we know this one. It took seven hours to set it up, right? It was probably a couple hundred t-shirts, but we were like, this, is, this isn't gonna work, you know? And all the other orders got backed up. And I said, let's go back on the manual. You know, it was just a disaster. So that was the first thing that he just, um, the second thing was understanding how an auto works. It's a screen printer. We know this, but it doesn't work in the same way as a manual printer. Um, so understanding squeegee angles better, understanding durometers better, understanding uh, squeegee pressure better, um, whether you're going to reduce your ink more. That's possibly less the case with, with water-based. Um, that was a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. You know, we had issues. We got supplied a bunch of screens that were substandard and the, um, the um, what's the correct word? The Newtons dropped very, very quickly. And we thought it was us, you know, and we run about 200 screens. So it was like, man, this is costly. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't us. It was, just, you know, so there's a variable that came in that we didn't know about that we wouldn't we'd be able to feel on a manual we'd be able to feel that yourself really quickly as you're printing um but then the third challenge was um the person that operates the press and does the printing here didn't print before oh, yeah. and so they understand really well how the press works now but when something isn't right they don't understand how to correct it they haven't gone through that actual process themselves Correct. manually printing something to find where it exactly is. they think ah oh, the pressure's too hard there too soft there or mm. you know the angles are on there yeah which is definitely something that i thought about in terms of like you know part of i would just say the onboarding process or the 
you know, the education process is like before you even get to touch an automatic, you have to work on a manual, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's part of like the, the initiation of working in screen printing and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're very ambitious. If you think you're going to just start a screen printing business and auto is your first machine, yeah. um, you know, cause again, like you say, you know, in terms of feeling, you know, the pressure and things like that, understanding squeegee angle, at least to a starting point in terms of the difference between pool printing and push printing you know, those kinds of things, what works more efficient for like bigger prints and smaller prints, all those kinds of stuff. So when you have an auto, you can kind of say, okay, well, you know, I don't want to blow out any screens on an auto. Um, so, you know, at least I've got that water base, you know, sorry, um, the manual backing. So I can kind of go like, okay, well, I can start off with this angle. I can start off with this kind of pressure. I can start off with these kinds of things and then fine tune from that point. Mm. But when you have no clue where to even start, mm. you know, Again, like you said, it's like timing in terms of loading shirts, you know, in terms of how to load a shirt effectively. You know, nothing teaches you better than printing on a manual and you've got 300 shirts sitting there next to you and you've got to meticulously load each one and you have no time pressure, you know. But realizing that eventually by shirt like 30, you're going to start feeling a bit of a twinge in your back. Yes, you know, yeah. and you go, go look at that pile and you go like, well, I've got 270 to go. And my back is already telling me, you know, and you're like... <laughs> those kinds of things but yeah it's like it's definitely in terms of like the things that's always mulling in the back of my mind is in terms of like when you get an auto it's all those little things that sounds nice in terms of being able to produce you know 400 500 600 you know shirts an hour but it's like that is a screen printing shop that has printed with an auto for multiple years and that is a professional like veteran i would say um auto printer that knows exactly what they're doing um, and they also have a team tony so yes. we on certain kinds of prints and the size we're our next investment needs to be a wider tunnel dryer um we'll do 540 an hour but that's four people yeah and you know that needs to be an order of at least 540 to make sense right because if yeah. it's six orders you've got to tear down set up tear down set up so don't get too carried away about that, but you do have to have a bigger tunnel dryer. So mm-hmm. it, it won't take you long to get there. It's just fixing those issues. So what tends to happen here is when something goes wrong or just isn't quite right, um, you know, that the guys can do rego perfect, no issue at all, like totally dialed in, can set up the press perfectly, um, get the timing perfect, but then something odd will happen, like you said earlier on. It just doesn't make sense. We've done this before. Why is that happening? The door will just open here. The press operator come and say, something a little odd's happening. <laughs> and I'll go out and say, oh, well, you just need a little bit more pressure on that color, or you just need to apply a second stroke of that, that ink there. Um, oh, and it's fixed. And that's the difference, right? So you'll transition to that. But what I was thinking is there's a step between, I think, even what I was saying or we were both saying about, so for example, if, you know, you make those revenue steps that are big each year, the pressure comes down to predominantly the printer. Everything else grows, but that's the bottleneck is the person doing the printing. And the next step to make that faster is to get someone loading and catching. So what tends to happen then is they put the, um, so you might have in, in some situations a carousel press here, the tunnel dryer here, 
is going on, you know, it's going out the door, so to speak. What a lot of people do is they'll move the carousel alongside the tunnel dryer and someone will physically load. It'll come round, get printed, flash, come round, whatever's happening, come off, go onto the dryer. And that person loading will catch and put in a box or lay down to be boxed. That will treble your print time. Get that quartz flash dryer, get someone else loading, teach them how to load. Because if you think about it, when you come to running a, an auto, once the, the press operator set it up, you just got someone loading. Yeah. So it's a transferable skill, or at least it should be, right? They're yeah. also checking quality. So you need to work out whether they're going to be the unloader or whether they're going to be the catcher at some point if you're going to switch your team about. But if you can get your current carousel running faster, that'll allow you to soak up the growth. But when that growth becomes too much, it's auto time. And even if you get a bigger auto, you know, which is what everyone will tell you, don't get a six color, don't get an eight color, try and get to a 10 or a 12 or whatever you can fit in. Um, what you're able to do is soak up much more. It's like a much bigger pressure release valve, if you will. And I think um, that's been really helpful. So Lydia, who's our, our press operator here, runs the whole of production, um, came in yesterday at the end of the day and said, we, we're growing again. So we doubled last year and this year we're growing. We're not quite doubling, but we're growing. Um, she said, it doesn't feel like we are. And I was saying, well, you know, just look at the orders list and went through it. Oh yeah. And I said, why doesn't it feel like we are? And she said, because we're just putting it through as normal mm. and it's because that yield is so much faster mm. our setup times are there now you know everything's working well generally um and i think you know if if we suddenly get a spike and you know we get a couple of few thousand piece orders in it won't matter it won't make a difference mm. i think that's when to do it but what frightens me is when that pressure release valve is at its full extent there's no there's no release left in it because yeah. you're then oh second auto you know do I and I think that's a bigger question in a way yeah. and I yeah. we're not there with that so I don't know what the right answer would be but um that's the way that we grew it and 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 tried to cope with it um so yeah get that quartz flash dryer in yeah definitely that's a good yeah no we'll definitely look into that now because you know, it's, it's, as you're pointing out in terms of like when the pressure gets too much, like where, you know, how are you going to pivot? Like where are you going to move? And, you know, how much, like, what is your warning sign to say like, well, you're going to hit that. So because the time it will take to get an auto, what do you need to do, you know, mm. to be able to start that process? Mm. Um, but I was like, for myself as well, if I've, I've kind of realized it's like, to what point do I want to grow this business? You know, I've, I've talked to a few people that's, you know, grow their own traditional business. It might not necessarily be in screen printing, but they say like at, you know, 800,000 or 1.2 million a year, you know, they still love their business, but then it grows to 1.5 or 1.8. And then now they hate their business. Mm. And she just kind of go like, well, do I want to just stay at 1.2? Mm. Any work that I can't do, I build a partnership with someone, you know, someone mm. that produces the same quality and I help their business grow, mm. you know, because I'm still loving my business at this point. There's no reason for me to keep growing if I'm just going to, you know, despise my business now. Mm. Um, because you start losing it as of like why you did it in the first place. 
Mm -hmm. um, and that's also something that's just in the back of my mind. I'm definitely not there yet in terms of where my business growth is at, but it's just something that I remind me, like, you know, at some point I don't want to grow to a point where it's just like, well, now I don't enjoy the business anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't enjoy working, not necessarily in it, but on it, you know, I don't necessarily, it's, it's taking the fun out of it. There's too many issues. There's too much pressure that, you know, the time constraints that's within that, you know, dealing with, you know, five people or six people in terms of employees, is fun in terms of a social group and things like that. But as soon as we get to eight, 10 or 12, you know, that, that dynamics is just a bit harder. Mm. You know, so those kinds of things I always consider as well when it comes to growth in terms of like, you know, when I do eventually get there, like where's my ceiling set mm. um, that, you know, I'm gonna like, you know, I love where this business is at. Um, and any more than that, I'm just gonna start going like, well, I don't enjoy it as much. Um, and I need to I think, make sure that I keep that in check. Yeah, and I think the trick, like I think that's real wisdom in my opinion. And I think I mentioned earlier, I've done a lot of different types of businesses and different sizes, mostly in consulting and technologies. So things from, you know, 1.4, maybe 1.6 up to 27 million a year. But the thing, so there's two things I think I can speak into on this. One is it's actually really hard to control growth. So most businesses are about getting growth. Mm. Let's get revenue. Let's get because they equate, you know, more bucks with more bucks, right? More bucks in, more bucks to me, and more bucks to the team, and so on. And that can be true, but it usually comes with more hassle. But mm. their focus is on that. You need more dollars, mm. you know. We've got an auto, we've got to, whatever it may be. Um, but actually, stopping it is really hard. When you think about it, if if there's a, you know, you can turn off your marketing and your advertising. But if there's a organic growth, particularly if it's a local audience you're trying to um, get the business from, then it's going to continue as long as you don't do anything bad, right? Yeah. And turning people away is really hard uh, for lots of reasons. One is you think, oh, we need the dollars. And two, you might say, well, if we turn them away, they're never going to come back next year when we've got our auto and we could do it or whatever it is. Um, and so it's very hard to kind of manage that. But the second thing I was going to say is that I reckon the number one failing of most entrepreneurs is you, you use the language of, you know, working in and working on uh, the business. And I think that's really helpful. But to work on the business, you have to trust enough to delegate. Yeah. And that's really hard, especially when you start it on your own and you know how things are meant to be done. And, you know, like when we hire new people here, go through this thing of saying listen you're going to get so fed up with us saying you're not going to do it that way you're going to do it this way we don't want you to be automatons we want you to think and learn and grow and apply your own um, person to this but there's a reason that we coat screens this way for an, as an example and it drives people bonkers right and you're going to, I, we, I say to them, you're going to roll your eyes and go, oh, there they go again. You've got to do this, not that. But I said, eventually you'll get this. You'll get into the, the stream of this and you'll understand why. Um, but part of that is also, I know how this needs to be done. You don't. You know what I mean? There's a kind of fear of letting go. You know, oh, you know I told you that screen wouldn't work if you did this. Yeah. And I think that's critical. I've never learned to do it very well. In, in all of the businesses that I've been involved in. And I think if you can balance, I don't like the word balance, but if you're able to manage, 
those tensions between growth, managing growth so it doesn't get too big or you're able to outsource appropriately um, and delegate and move away and work on the business. I think then you've got it made, but yeah. I think, I think in terms of highlighting that aspect as well is, I would definitely say it's just finding someone that can give you that perspective. Um, I think as, as, as business owners and things like that, you know, in terms of letting go, we, don't, we want to do everything ourselves because, you know, we know, we, we know the quality we produce. We know the, the consistency we have, you know, we want to have that control. And it's not, it's not really, there's nothing wrong with that in the sense. It's just, just realizing that what you're doing is, is you're actually holding yourself back from growing. Um, and the easiest way to do that is to find someone that can actually give you that perspective that isn't in that actual situation with you. Um, so they can then give you say, so the, the, those, those warning signs and saying like, well, you're holding on to this a little bit too much. You know, this is where you can actually free up that, that time. Not necessarily, like you said, like in terms of using, say, bringing in balance, but in terms of going like, well, how can I most effectively use my time? Yeah, yeah. Um, because uh, for myself as well, it's just like realizing that um, when I have a value set to outside perspectives, my life is always going to look imbalanced and things like that when I operate within my values. Um, mm. but unbalanced. With, unbalanced, yes, sorry. Mm. Um, but then, you know, with, <laughs> with for, for myself, though, because I'm operating within my values, I have balance within my values. You know, but for other people, it look like, you know, it, I'm like drastic or, you know, intense in those particular areas. But because of where I want to go and what I want to achieve, you know, that's just what I'm going to have to do. Mm. Um, but yeah, that outside perspective. And it's, it's, I found that in screen printing, it's quite hard to get that, mm. you know, like you say, in terms of like those veterans that have gone through that growth, that have gone through, you know, those, those points of pressure that are going like, oh, this is now I need to expand and going to go like, okay, well, I probably could have done that sooner. And these were the mm. things. But if you can find someone that is willing to share that, that kind of wisdom with you mm. and say like, okay, well, when you start experiencing this, this is probably where you need to go. Um, will help you get, you know, stay in check and go like, okay, well, I can actually release this with someone. Um, this is how I best allow them to be able to do that where it doesn't cost me in terms of like an entire 200 shirt job or a thousand shirt job in terms mm. of them being able to learn that. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I think it's, it's like, it's better to invest into getting 20 blank shirts in where they can just kind of play around with and figure it out and realizing, okay, well, 20 shirts only cost me this much ink you know that's fine mm -hmm. but at least then i know that they learn in a less costly way than on a thousand shirt order that has time pressure and has a consistency element to it yeah um and it gives you that room of space and when they've done that really well you can go like well awesome now you're ready to go up to the next level yeah and they can yeah. do those things in terms of going like oh but why do we do this way well do it your way and then you oh, learn yeah. from the frustration <laughs> when it doesn't go right yeah and then you understand why i'm telling you why um, yeah. Because I think in terms of anyone, in terms of like business journeys and things like that, think of it in terms of the, the journey from going from being a child to being a teenager to being an adult. You know, as a child, you'd like, you soak everything in because it's brand new. As a teenager, you think you know everything, so you resist everything. Yeah. <laughs> and then as an adult, you finally have that wisdom to kind of go like, oh, well, maybe my parents made some sense, <laughs> you know? Um, it hasn't happened that's to me yet, Tony, but I look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> He's still a child. Yeah, sorry, you're right. Yeah. yeah. But that's that kind of thing. That's, that's the journey of a new employee, you know, is, is the fact is, is like, you know, it's a new job. It's a new experience. So they're going to soak everything in. But mm. at some point, they're going to think they know everything. Mm. And if you as a business owner aren't prepared for that, 
you know, you, you're, you're going to butt heads and you're going to have a large turnover, you know, where you're going to keep getting new people in that you have to keep training and things like that. And people are not going to stay around. It's because you weren't going to go like, well, actually, they just think they know everything. Um, so maybe put them in an environment where they can make those mistakes so that they can learn. Because yeah. some people can learn from your mistakes. Some people choose not to. Yeah, that's correct. You know? And so if you can do it in a, the least costly environment for them to be able to make their own mistakes and learn from those things, um, where, you know, you can basically sum it up as where they have an element of ownership. Um, you know, I think you can get some, some loyal and, and long-lasting employees in your business that way. Mm. Um, but I'm just speaking from, like, the idea of I have a concept. It's not being tested. So, you know, we can touch base again when I have employees and I've taken them through that person. I can say, actually, that works, you know, so... Yeah, and and things have like that point I made it a while ago about adaptability. You know, you you got to you know have your plan because you without a plan you're not going to go anywhere, right? You got to have goals. Exactly. I mean, we we know how that works, but to be able to say, oh, you know, okay, we need to change that. You know, in business, in some of my previous businesses, I was often heard to say things like, "We've got a plan, but it's going to change." Get used to the fact that it's going to change because it's not going to be right. It's going to be perfect. So I think that's the key, that adaptability again. I wanted to ask what garments you print on. We didn't cover that sort of area. Are you, you know, one brand house? Are you multi-brands? You know, what's your kind of, you've got the the ethical ink aspect to your to your brand, your own narrative. Does yeah. that spill into the garments as well? Where would you go for that? Yeah, we definitely do try to. We do have... I guess you could say our favorite or preferred supplier, um, which, which is AS Color. Yeah. Um, you know, they have the Better Cotton Initiative and things like that they bring through and stuff like that in terms of, and then, you know, the dyeing process and policies and things like that, which we really do like. Mm. Um, we have looked at other brands and stuff like that as well. But, you know, it's, it's harder to switch to that when, you know, we really do like what we print on. Um, mm. You know, they've also grown in terms of the quality of their garments that they produce and the consistency of their dyeing and all those kinds of things as well. Um, so we're getting predictable results from that. I think every screen printer and things like that can resonate with that in terms of like, you know, you like to print on a particular shirt because you know the results that it's going to produce. Mm. As soon as someone brings in a different kind of garment and things like that, you're like, mm, I don't know. Mm. Um, has it got polyester in it That's yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know because we've had we've experienced those kinds of things and stuff where you know the label says it's 100 percent cotton but we don't necessarily know how that entire shirt was treated and sometimes it can be actually like a rion and not actually a cotton even though it's labeled as a cotton and it's got yeah. like this powdery feel to it it's like super silky and things like that and water-based does not want to go anywhere near it yeah you know, you print on it, it looks like it's cured properly, everything like you take it into a garment, you know, you put it through a wash and then there's no no, no, no print on it whatsoever, you know. Um, and you learn those things only through making that mistake. So we tend to stick with AS Color because we like the garments, we like the style. Most of our clients and stuff like that prefer that as well. Um, they, they're a bit more on the, you know, I guess you could say the premium pricing side of things. Um, we've tried, um, what's it, um, Ramo as well. Um, they're also pretty decent um, in terms of quality of garments and in terms of printing on them and how the, the inks and stuff like that reacts to the garments. We um, use Biz Collection a Biz lot collection for well. sort of yep. corporate stuff. Corporate wear um, stuff. Especially um, their polos and that. We just find like the Peak Polo and the, I think it's the Chad Polo from AS. Just They're just not professional polos. They don't last very long in terms of like the collar shape and the overall. Yeah. 
feel to them is not yeah. very professional. So, yeah, we use Biz Collection a lot for like corporates and stuff. Yeah, because yeah. we because we wear we wear what we print on. Likewise, um, yeah. So we actually get to experiences of how the garments last and how they work and things like that. Um, you know, in some of my shirts and stuff is like four years old and it's got the same print on it that it had back then. So at least I could say like I know how long my prints last. Yeah. You know those kinds of things. Yeah, um, but then there's other shirts and stuff that I printed on and things. Then it's like you know the, how the style fades over time or you know the fit changes and things like that. It's like well I don't really like printing on them, and because I've experienced it myself, it's not necessarily something that I would then recommend to a client as well. Um, you know, because I think as well in terms of business, it's like if you don't use your own product, then, you know, like, do you stand behind what you what you do? Um, and for us, it's like 100% cotton. You know, like that's, that's you know, preferred, preferred um, yeah, just sure. because of the waste and stuff, and we don't have to add anything to it. Yep. Um, we can do blends and things like that, but then you're dealing with dye migration and, you know, you heat sensitivity and stuff. You know, you don't want to melt a polyester shirt. Um, and things like that so yeah so that's kind of where we try to stay and you know trying to lean people towards um yeah that's and you do you find that your customers generally have an idea of what they want to use or they just want you to recommend because as color is a very well-known brand on the high mm. street right they're a retail brand as well so look we find a lot of people know as color and that's what they want is that your yeah. experience as well yeah I, yeah, I think I mean, about like it would probably be about 50 50 um that people some people know what they want um like as, as in actually particular styles like i want the staple to i want the classic to i want the stencil hood definitely mm -hmm. um sometimes those people we had to educate first and then afterwards they're like okay cool i'm happy to stick with the style other people have like no clue at all so that's why we've got like a nice big sample rack that we're like, okay, so this is a lightweight, this is a heavyweight, you know, mm. this has got longer sleeves, this is fluffy on the inside, this is not, like, mm. you know, so then we sort of figure out what they want. Um, and then, you know, if we can put a style to that, they're happy to sort of continue on with it. But yeah, I would say 50-50 about people know what they want and others. We've actually had a lot of people come in um, starting up their own brands that, it's like they want to use AS color, but they don't at the same time because everyone uses it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they're yeah. like, everyone uses it. Isn't there something else? Or like, I want all the tags removed because I don't want anyone to know I'm using AS color. Yeah. And we're like, okay, cool. Like, it's a really good quality brand. Like, it's like, you don't have to hate on AS color, even though you're going to use it. You know, yeah. just remove the tags, put your own tags in, make it custom, and then, yeah. you know, it's yours. Um, so do you would you retag and print tags and bag for people as well? Is that what you do? So we started looking at um because Tony is working on his own brand at the moment in terms of printing the neck labels to yep. the back. Yeah. Uh we want to start offering that as a service, but the problem we have with that is um when we ordered the equip well, when Tony ordered the equipment originally, um he got one sleeve platen. So um, that's yeah. probably something we would recommend that to was someone a, else. That get was the eight. one bit of planning like, that didn't work. <laughs> get eight because <laughs> doing one sleeve at a time on like 160 yeah, yeah. order, yeah. like it's a nightmare. It's yeah. absolutely like we're looking at making our own sleeve platens that has like a double sleeve platen for the yep. whole eight press just to be yep. able to speed that process up. 
Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, but obviously, AS Color offers the neck label removal service as well, um, which we've used a couple of times. Um, otherwise, Tony has sort of figured out how to remove them ourselves without like destroying it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But we don't offer it per se. I think we would probably want to just uh, work on it a little bit more to get that process sort of down packed. And then we can yeah. be like, oh, well, we offer custom, especially for the guys starting up their own brand, own brands. Like you can offer them the custom labels and the custom neck printing and the hem tags and the whatever. Because yeah. then it really becomes their own thing. But yeah. So we do a fair bit of that. Um, unless it's a super big order. We wouldn't print it. We just plastisole transfer it and press it in yep. using a. And the guys can do that pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, obviously with a tear away, so it might be the block T, for yep. example, which is basically a staple T with a tear away label. Um, um, so we've got we print for a number of um, international sports people that are Australian. It's just a, a fluky thing we got into by accident. Um, and they now want us to, they have three major sports personalities and we do all of their merch, um, but they now want us to do all their tags. And so we tag and bag those. And it's actually worth doing financially. Like I'd say, yeah. you know, if you get the pricing right, it's worth it. But it also means you provide more of a complete service for that customer. Yeah. And that customer, you know, their own websites and they're just selling and they just got somebody you know sending out the garments um we don't we do a little bit of fulfillment we're playing with fulfillment at the moment but it's a bit of a nightmare um but the um when the customer gets something bad like this well they, they don't they don't care what it is they know what it's like inside and they just want to know we've got 48 Two XL, sixty XL, you know, you're right. And they just, it's much easier for them, and you're giving them a comprehensive deal. And I feel like that binds you and that customer together in terms of the arrangement. So those kinds of customers, they'll just send an email saying, "We want three hundred of these. Work out the sizes. We know what their demographic is. You know what I mean? So we just bang off goes the invoice, and we just, that's really nice. That kind of stuff. And I, I feel like tagging and bagging has really helped with that. Is worth investing in um fulfillment i did have a quick are you guys okay for time yeah yeah, yeah no we're yeah, good yeah, yeah. um i did have a look at your insta page and i saw some heat pressing i think yeah. some director film or super color transfers or super something color, yeah um is there a super color place in perth is that no it's over east from new zealand yeah we prefer to go from new zealand at the moment there is one so there is a supply from over east and stuff, but we've just kind of stuck with New Zealand. Why am I using the one from New Zealand? Because <laughs> it's nearer. No, um, I think there's one. In, I think there's one in Brizzy, if Brisbane. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Why am I using the one from New Zealand? Honestly, I don't have an answer to that question. <laughs> oh my hey, hey guys, take that home and discuss it tonight, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll, just, we'll, we'll sort that out later. Uh, yeah, we will. Because <laughs> do, do you guys do do supercolor transfers at all? Not really. Uh, occasionally, we'll have a scenario where, like, we had one not so long ago where one of the colleges here at the university, you know, they could they could buy eight hundred garments that kind of size, depending on the event. They went and bought, I don't know, several hundred um, sweatpants 
100% polyester and they, we mm. don't we typically don't want to print on anyone else's garments you know for the yeah, reasons yeah. you give like AS color yeah we love that you know if another brand comes in through the doors the guys go oh, we've got to print those have we you know so they just it's just so nice printing on AS color but anyway um and they came in with these um tracksuit pants and um they oh they had it was just a full color image and I said like you, you know, let, let me take you into the shop here and show you how screen printing works. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, right. So, you know, they're going to shrink. Yeah, they're going to shrink and it's not going to work. So we, in those kind of cases, we went out and got some super color or super color equivalents. Um, I thought this might be the company actually. No. Um, and just heat press them on and that's fine. But they're just so plasticky and... You know, some are better than others, depending on what the customer is prepared to, to pay for. Um, we're dabbling. We, we own and we, we, so we run a multi-brand strategy um, in, in what we do because of the markets that we're trying to hit. And we have a thing called the Aussie Merch Shop, which we use for pre-orders for some of our customers. So right now we've got another sports personality who's a motorcycle racer who's um, been given some great sponsorship to go to Europe and race there and so on. And he's got some limited edition t-shirts with, with actually names of people buying the t-shirts on the back. Right? It's pretty yeah. interesting. I'd be amazed how much people pay. Um, and, you know, he just needs a pre-ordering site. So we use it for that. He wants to do 200 garments. We just leave it there until the 200 are, are booked in. We turn it off and we print them and send them out to the customer. Um, and they'll do the fulfillment. But we also have a couple of fulfillment customers and some of our own brands that we mess about with, but don't generally have time to really, you know, push hard. Um, it's a nightmare because I do not like DTG. I, I, you know, to be blunt, I don't like the chemicals, the garments stink. Um, and yeah, you can get some nice prints, but it's nothing like it'll never be like water-based it's a long way from plastisol even so um director film kind of interests me but only if i can grow that side of the business so right now we just do plastisol heat transfers um and that's okay it works but it's a lot of effort for two t-shirts like our minimum's 20 generally depending on who you are and, and what it is you want um we had a guy come in yesterday or the day before and said, bowled in and just, oh, yeah, I just need these two T-shirts this afternoon. Can you do them? And sorry, man, you don't, you don't get the process. But I guess if we had direct film, we could say, yeah, you know, it's going to cost this. Take a seat. We'll make it happen. But one of the things I'm nervous about is, you know, like I said earlier, when your carousel spinning, you're earning money. If you can get those processes ironed out from the cradle, let's just say from the marketing end through the, the dispatch and customer um, playback at the other end, then all you've got to do is keep that press running. If perchance you get an order for three T-shirts from your, um, you know, direct, direct garment, uh, sorry, direct, um, what am I saying, full fulfillment distribution model, and you take one person off running the, keeping that press going, there's little or no point in doing it. So yeah. we've sort of stopped at that point and we just feed those customers, just have plenty of transfers for them. But also we find those types of customers, um, 
So we do a fair amount of clothing brands like yourselves. And whenever someone comes on with their new clothing brand idea, we spend time chatting to them for it and, you know, really telling them what the pros and cons are. And I try very hard to encourage them to go the route of just getting a heat press and we'll print your plastisol heat transfers because you do not know what's going to sell right now. You're full of optimism bias. You've got 20 great designs. Maybe one of them will be of interest to your market. So we strongly urge them to do that. And some do. We did have one guy who just really wanted to go the whole way and just did not want to do any shortcuts and spent 40 grand on uh, garments and sold a couple of hundreds and you know came back a couple of years later and said hey what's the go and i said that's how it works man you kind of told you don't do that and he's still trying to pedal those and plug them and maybe i'll get there but um it become the idea becomes stale very quickly the designs become stale very quickly especially if you've designed them you know if someone is doesn't like your design, you tend to drop it and move on to another one, create create new stuff. Um, but then I find so some people get that. Some people just want to, you know, eight color with twenty t-shirts, which we wouldn't do, and they don't get it. And can you just simplify this? You're gonna you're gonna make no profit on your sale. Um, and so the other ones we might take on um, with our little Aussie merch shop. Um, a fulfillment system but generally we're trying trying to stay away from that at the moment um and i think it's like one of the things that it seems to me that during covid you know adversity is the great is the mother of invention right struggling is is the thing that causes new ideas to come out and i guess we've seen that in new brands setting up and all kinds of little home businesses setting up and new ideas coming out but listening to the screen printers it seems they're all dabbling in a bit of dtg a bit of fulfillment and so on um when we look at the big fulfillment houses they're huge they're inordinate they're mad like printify and all those kind of companies in the us um we used to do our own designs years ago and we basically um, put it was for the american market we realized that we just needed to basically outsource that and then we just closed it down it's just hopeless for us but those places are just enormous they've invested colossal amounts of money in dtg and we're kind of saying oh i'll get a dtg printer and try it and it's you know what i mean whereas they're probably going why aren't you spinning your carousels guys like that's where you know we'd love to be able to print that many in a in an hour do you know yeah. So um, I kind of feel like it's a bit of a red herring, you know, um, and, and to be honest, you know, and this is a bit blunt, but I feel like for someone who's starting their clothing brand, they're probably, you know, going to sell a hundred teas in a couple of years. In most cases, right. You might get one or two that bite and they really go and they come back with new ideas and keep going. But most of them just have no idea of how to actually market and sell and just, you know, think they're the next, next Gucci or something. And um, to my mind, it's just not worth the effort. I'm a bit like that with bands as well. I don't know if you do much band tea. They have zero loyalty. It's all about the dollar. And um, they don't really care 
you know, whether they come to you or whoever, but they all want a Monair's car, you know, which is fine. Yeah, so, we had we the one yeah. band um, that we printed for. Yeah, they were like, we want general long sleeves and block block short sleeves. Like that's what they want, yeah. and they want discharge printing. And I'm like, okay. So like, <laughs> AS color quality garments with uh, free screen printing prices. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> so you know, like that's that's kind of what you're working with. Um, one one really good thing. There's many good things about AS color, but one good thing is that it, you know if someone outside of our industry goes to their website they hit the retail prices you know yeah and if they're looking yeah. at a, you know a solid uh, stencil hoodie they're going 55 dollars. wow i can get it to, you know i'm printed i can get it from these guys for whatever printed so that's kind yeah. of helpful in a way um, definitely it's good it's good for them to experience that if they think we are overcharging them yeah yes. if they think oh, i can do it cheaper and they go to as and like you know yeah, we're like, yeah, cool. Go pay $50, $60 for a hoodie and see. Yeah. Like, then you still have to get all your own screen printing or your own transfers or whatever. Yeah, let's see if you can yeah. do it cheaper. Yeah. There's a reason we're the expert in the field here. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I think, yeah. I think the thing is, is like what you highlighted in terms of like with brands as well is just like it's definitely beneficial for a startup brand to really look at getting their own heat press and doing their own super yeah. color route. Yeah. Um, just purely, like you said, in terms of testing out ideas and, and, and design ideas and stuff like that. Because then you can you can just basically post a design online, figure out your marketing because if it sells, awesome, you know, you've got a winner. If it doesn't, then you've only invested in like a minimum quantity of transfers. And if you've got blank shirts sitting there, maybe the next design is a hit and you can put them on there. You haven't committed anything on them yeah. in terms of yeah. on the shirts yet. Um, 100%. And then when you when the capacity gets to the point where you can't actually process them as, as effectively or as timely as you want to, then you can outsource to a screen printer because you've got a winner already. Mm. Mm. Um, and we we have gotten a couple of clients that is that way. You know, like we've got one that just came in and stuff like that that used to do them themselves, and then the the time investment was just too much for the margins that they had on it. So now they're looking at you know going yeah. the screen printing route, and we can yeah. help them with that. And yeah, so she started off with. Um like a pre-cut or vinyl doing it herself. Um, and so she knows which designs work already. But she said the other day she spent like an hour, like with this back print that she had to do, Pick out all picking the out all the different <laughs> things. An hour, wow. For an hour shirt. on one shirt. And she's just, I wow. can't do that anymore. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. not for what you charge for the shirt, for then the time you spend on it, you've yeah. made no money technically. Yeah. And the Plus, thing is, all I like get that. is vinyl, you know. Yeah. The customer yeah. gets vinyl, which is awful. Yeah, because I found myself is like the number one question I like to ask people about when they want to start up their brand is, is what is the brand story? Um, because if you don't have a brand story yet, it doesn't matter what design you come up with and things like that, you know, it can be a niche design or something like that or some kind of trend that it's going on and it will sell. Right? But people attach the brand story. Um, because if they attach the brand story and your designs is true to that story, then it doesn't really matter what the design is, it's going to sell because people attach to the story. Um, and I know that I've noticed that the brands that come in that orders that quantities, but you never hear from them again, is the ones that don't have a concrete story. Hmm. Um, they have a great idea and they've got a bunch of friends and stuff that kind of wants to go into this and they create like this social club type of thing, but it's never really past that point because they, their story is just not, doesn't resonate with anyone outside of that group. Mm. Um, but as soon as you have a story that's 
you know, resonates with people outside that group in terms of why you're really doing it. And that brand represents that. And so if people resonate with the story, they wear it by the t-shirt because they want to, you know, represent that they're part of that story. Yeah. They want to be part of that community. And then it doesn't really matter what the church designs are and things like that, because people, people will buy it as long as it adheres to that story. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the biggest differentiators I've found with brands because we like, I, well, I like working with brands um, because for me, I see it as, you know, because <laughs> no, like if, if for them, it's just like when it works, you know, we get to grow with them, you know, um, and that that's awesome to see. Um, the struggle with working with brands and stuff like that is the expectation they have or what's possible with screen printing. Um, and how much things would like will, will you know will cost in terms of printing locations and things like like on the side of a hood of a hoodie you know those kinds of things it's like yeah in concept it looks really cool but in terms yeah. of printing on those things yeah. Yeah. you know it, it's a nightmare you know you can yeah. figure it out but you're gonna have to be like you know yeah you know you're gonna pay some some premium dollars for, to be able to get yeah. that thing yeah um, but yeah definitely in terms of brand story and I think that's true kind of really for any business, you know, is in terms of where, where your why sits. Um, Cause it comes across in everything that you do. Um, Sounds like a bit of Simon Sinek there. Are you quote <laughs> start with the why, yeah. I, yeah. I used that book in, I'm a management consultant prior to all of this. And that's like my favorite pullout book, you know, like, yeah. and it's true, right? I mean, that, that's the way I run all our brands, you know, start with the why. Yeah, no, good. Um, now I had another question. It's completely escaped my brain, which is not surprising. Um, yeah, okay. A simulated process, color separations. You're a graphic designer, Tony. What um, do you do? Your own separations? Do you yeah. use another application? In some cases, are you doing simulated process? Is that something you do? Yeah. So for a period, I did use Separation Studio um, to do my color separations and things like that. Um, I find like that one is a little bit of a hit and miss for me in terms of like what it outputs for what I want to use. Yeah. Um, I found that um, utilizing Photoshop um, first to kind of create those separations and then illustrate it to actually print my films and, you know, handle all those kinds of things. It gives me a little bit more control mm -hmm. um, to what I like. And I'll admit like, I probably haven't spent enough time in terms of really getting used to separation studio as a software in terms of how to use it effectively. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, yeah, I really, really um, have to tune, you know, you know, tuned in in terms of like how to use Photoshop then into Illustrator in terms of doing those separations and things like that. Um, and then the beauty of it as well is it's like I can then kind of handle when someone delivers a, like a little bit of a subpar in terms of quality JPEG or PNG image. Yeah. Um, in terms of getting that vectorized version. Um, mm. But we always illustrate in terms of like, you know, certain images does not necessarily translate very well when you want to vectorize them um so they're going to lose a little bit of the the, the, the finer details in their design hmm. um but they'll get a very crisp design for what you know you can actually get uh, extract out of that and then obviously yeah. you know there's a price attached to the, the complexity of what you know is required to be done um but uh, you know that also really ties highly into the education process as well with people do not really know about print ready files and what's required for that and what that looks like mm. and why that's needed. Um, and so, you know, we like, oh, send us the best quality image that you can. And then, you know, it's basically just a 
zoo or you know blown up version of the original image i'm like well now that's even worse pixelated you know it's like you can't make pixels appear out of there, you know by making it bigger um so you know that's always an interesting struggle but i think that's sometimes i find that's kind of the rare case um where you know people give you like this really really bad image and i sometimes i find as well it's just like that's kind of like a warning sign in terms of saying like well where did you get this image mm. um you know you, that kind of thing because it's like if it's a, if it's original and it's designed and things like that then um you would have had a graphic designer done it um and so you would have all those design files and things um which brings the hurdle in terms of like you know graphic designers like likes to hold on to their work for some reason yeah. Um, as soon as you ask for those design files and stuff, they why is it something that I can do? All those kinds of things. Yeah. And so that's also another hassle to work with those. But they'll um, give it so. to you as a PDF. You know, if they're working in Illustrator, they'll save it out as a PDF. You know, as if that, like you then just open it in AI and it's an AI file. I just find that yeah. really bizarre. Why don't you just give us the AI file? Like it's, it's yeah. absurd. You know, the interesting thing I found with that is, is, is that. It's the different workflows of graphic designers. Everyone has their own little workflow and things like that. Um, and then, then the realization is, is like their, 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 their working process is to kind of give their clients a PDF file, right? Knowing that the client doesn't know how to operate that file. Yeah. But then they assume the same thing when they send that to a screen printer that actually has an in-house graphic designer yeah. or someone that knows how to use the software. Yes. You know, Absolutely, and yeah. so I always take the file, I chuck it into like, you know, the, the PDF and I throw it into Illustrator and I just kind of see like, well, how did they save this? Yeah. Because there is a checkbox you can turn off that prevents it from being able to be re-edited, yeah. but they never, you know, never look at that. So yeah. most of the time I just get the entire file and everything. Um, but it's also the difference in terms of like what application did they design it for? Because sometimes you've got like all of these shapes over top of each other in layers and things going on where you're like, well, I have to spend at least an hour to two hours to try and clean this up so I can actually do proper separations. Yeah. Uh, and would you, so, you, know, you just the customer for that? Or would you, depending on the size of the um, job, maybe? Yeah, it depends on the size of the job, um, whether or not they repeat clients or not, like and then they're just doing a new design or, um, you know, how much work they need, you know, that kind of thing. So... We had one recently, it's a regular customer for us, it's a clothing brand, and they're really good designs, I like them, they're kind of, um, well, they have that kind of tattoo style about them, and um, we had one recently, and it was, I think it was eight colours, and it was a Photoshop image, it was a JPEG, and so oh, I yes. said, oh look, can you, can you get the original artwork for us, yeah, no problem, so it came back as a PSD, um, it's just a JPEG and a PSD. And I was like, okay, this, this isn't helpful. Can you go back and get the original uh, AI file? Because uh, the the, the uh, customer spoke about a graphic designer. You know, they, they I'll get it from my graphic designer, right? Okay. Well, wasn't any good. Then what happened? Oh, yes. Then the JPEG ended up just as a JPEG inside an AI file. Right. And I said, but this is a raster image. It's exactly this. And of course, the customer doesn't know that. Yeah. I don't get that. Mm. So eventually she phoned me and said, the, uh, we've got an artist and um, a graphic designer. And then there's her and then there's me. You know, that's the kind of chain. And I said, why have you got an artist and a graphic designer? What's your graphic designer doing? Converting the artwork from the artist into the format that you need it. And I said, but I've been given a JPEG in a PSD and now a JPEG in an AI file. 
can we not just go back to the artist? Uh, well, no, we can't do that because of relational issues between them. Oh, this is really difficult. Well, I still have to rebuild the vector. That's going to take hours. She said, I'll get my graphic designers to do it. I said, fine. He came back as a JPEG with four layers. You know, it's just a, a rusted image in PSD. And I just said, look, I need to speak to the designer. They're just not getting it. But then you have that problem that you're alluding to of the designer being very protective of yeah. their work. But this wasn't even their work, you know, someone else's work. Um, so eventually got to the bottom of it. Of course, the artist was working in AI. Right, so all I needed was the original AI. Oh, <laughs> I know, and yeah, and look, you know, uh, you get them, you get some funny customers like that. Um, but most of the time, a lot of the organisations we're living, we're working with, just give us an AI now. Like they will, you know, I'll speak to the art department, and they'll, and you're like, oh great, we've got yeah. an AI, we can go straight to film with this. Um, so do you print? Simulated process much? Is that something you get to do? It's a uh, fun we, thing. We've had the opportunity to do it a few times and stuff like that. It's not necessarily one we get to do all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really do enjoy full color process. Like, you know, like the yeah. results you can get with that. That's one of the advantages, you know, obviously with waterbase and stuff. Yeah, you, are, you know, you have your limitations in terms of light garments and things. Um, but, you know, I've played around with it in terms of using super cover on dark garments and, you know, I get pretty, pretty good results for it and stuff. It's not true full color process, but, you know, you get, you get something close. You lay down uh, like a discharge underbase or something or just print directly onto the dark garment? I've tried, I've tried discharge underbase and stuff and it's not something that I've done enough to kind of go, okay, well, now I know how it works because I've got some, I had some issues in terms of like, the color slightly changing of the inks and stuff like that with a discharge on the base and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've just kind of like veered away, away, away from that. But it's also because we don't get enough of it um, mm. as a job for me to be able to spend that time on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's really, really cool. Simulated process, you know, that, that I kind of get quite frequently, but that's really just you talking gradients and things like that. You don't, um, we're not talking like six, eight colors. Oh, okay. Um, when it comes yes, to simulations yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. Um, yeah. I mean, we had, yeah, most of the time clients get scared away when you tell them in terms of the cost of a simulated process printing and things like that. So you don't yeah. really tend to get those jobs. I mean, we had one where we had a client that wanted a 12 color front print and a 12 color back print okay. with a two both sleeves printed on okay. one garment. Wow. Um, so we just garment. Kind of, yeah, on a single garment. Right. But I'll, I mean, he I'll, had, I'll get those. Yeah. I think he, I think overall he had, I think he, he, he eventually got to like wanting to order 50 um, in terms of their quantity garments, but all of that onto a single garment, right? For all 50 of them. So it was like massive complexity. I'm like, we're like, we only have an eight color price. So we have to like look at reducing it to eight colors at least. And we suggest the transfers. Mm -hmm. um, so this was the design. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. 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 Like so it. that would have been awesome, um, but he wanted screen printing for it and just, yeah. And so the price <laughs> kind of like made him run for the heels, basically. No, yeah, um, he had a budget. He had a budget, but yeah, he yeah. had all yeah. those 21 uh, So it would have been fun to, like, it would be awesome and fun to print it. And I did like, basically, because it's something that like that kind of color combination, you know, complexity on it, it's not something that I've done before. So I played around with it anyways. Mm. 
because sometimes I do that, like when clients apply, like, you know, a, an artwork or something for, you know, if they want something they want to print, but they don't actually end up, you know, coming to us as a client. I sometimes use their designs as like test printing or things, if it's something that I haven't done a lot of, because mm. uh, it's a lot easier than trying to find something that I like to print, you know, on Google or whatever, just to kind of do that testing with. So it's easy when it's a client <laughs> already coming through the process. But then at least I can say like, you know, then I have a sample. I can say, look, you know, like this is what we've tried out before. And it's easy to so show to someone else that, you know, comes in with the same kind of or similar kind of request. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, when you go up to your auto, um, you know, you'll be able to talk and change um, the minimum quantities based on the kind of color setups that are required for each job. And once you kind of get that dialed in, like we wouldn't print simulated process on anything less than 51. We prefer 100, 200, obviously. Yeah. But um, it's so much fun to do. And because it's an auto, as I said earlier, when the T-shirt comes around, it's done, it comes off, right? Yeah. Um, which means ostensibly, if it's going well and you've got, you know, your flash is set up correctly, you're kicking them out two, three, four hundred an hour and it's got nine colors on it, right? That's just yeah. a gift. So it means you can start to sell into that market with that kind of complexity. Yeah. Unless something goes wrong in the print, mm. right? Yeah. And, you know, if there's, if you're, I don't know, I don't know how you do it, but we tend to order the exact, we, we carry stock, but we do just-in-time procurement. So an order for 400 shirts comes in, we'll buy 401. And yeah. the one will, you know, we'll do a bunch of tests and then we'll do a proper test on the actual substrate. Yeah. It's good. She gets put in the bag and it's a freebie for the customer and we go to the print run. So if yeah. there's a stuff up after that, um, you know, I don't know, something smudges or we get what we call a blush where it, it's just the inks run together too much. Mm. Um, if it's wet and wet, for example, um, we'll have to make that decision about putting that in or not. And telling oh, yeah. the customer, look, there's one XL short, you know, but you've got a spare large or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, because you're not going to want to reprint that, you know, Just you're not going to want to put yeah. the setup that, yeah. And you might mm. go, oh, well, I've got an eight color manual here. We'll just do that. But you don't want to do it, right? So um, that's the downside. But, you know, that doesn't happen too often to us. Uh, ironically, it happened yesterday on, on a job. Can't remember now which one. Um, oh, no, no. It was a guy. <laughs> it was a, a two color. Um, front and two color back and one of the garments was 200 garments and when they spun the garment around to print the back had a hole in it which no one had obviously seen before we got oh. the garment which just happens now and again right um, yeah but um yeah simulated process i think it's just great we don't get much cmyk like full color process yeah. with what we do um which i'm kind of sad about because i really like that too um, yeah sim process is just yeah, everyone gets excited. I can remember when um, we started out with a very cheap Chinese press and then we moved up to an old three-color, three-platen press, which was Australian. Can't remember what it was called. And then we went to a four-color and then we went up to an eight-color. And um, I can remember when we started moving from single-color prints to two-color prints and then three and four and just being so nervous 
oh my goodness, we've got this is a two color, we better just slow down. And you know, <laughs> oh, I wish this was a one color job, you know. And then you get to the point where you go, hey, it's a nine color job, this is so exciting, you know, you're just because you, you're just confident about it and you get into it. Yeah. And that's really exciting when that happens. Yeah. Because it's also, it's great, like people love it on social as well, but it's just, it's great when you kind of see like, you know, first color goes down, you're like, oh, what is it? Second color comes down, you're like, oh, it's coming, something's coming together. And as you see it, you're just kind of building this image yeah, yeah. and things like that. And then you're like, how does it come from something that's just a series of dots that doesn't look like anything as you print it until that yeah. last color comes down and yeah. you're just like, whoa, that's look at that, yeah. you know, and that, that, that kind of keeps things fun and and exciting and stuff like that and you just kind of you feel you feel more proud of it than a one color and things like that and so is it just because of the, the effort the time that went in with the registration and yeah oh man when you get the registration right <laughs> you know and you don't you know like all the dots and stuff is in the right spot and everything like that you're just like oh you beauty yeah. um which sometimes you feel like you're going to throw a screen through a window when it doesn't want to work but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know but when it yeah. does it's 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 great Oh, um, get and I, I just love the way you know you get ink build up and the ink build up works together and you know even on yeah, a big run it's, it's a vibrancy going yeah yeah no, it's just great i really really like those kind of prints yeah. okay well look um you've mentioned earlier we should probably move towards a close you might have questions as well but um you mentioned some some advice for people getting started now you obviously started in a different place and i love it you know mm. You didn't start in the garage or the back room or the basement. You said, no, this is business strategy. This is what we're going to do. This is the money. Let's, let's get on and do it. And off you went. And you mentioned some things, tips and traps, right? For younger, not necessarily younger in age, but people starting out screen printing, maybe in the basement. Um, tips, things that they can learn and do first off and traps, things to watch out for. What would, if someone came to your shop tomorrow and said, hey, what advice do you give me? What tips can you give me? What traps should I look out for? What do you think you'd come up with? Um, I think it's sort of like when you're looking at, you can probably separate it between like the printing process itself. And then you've got like working with clients. Um, I think what like Lizanne will be able to speak a bit better in terms of like when it works with clients and some of the tips and traps when it comes to that. Um, because that, that, that aspect happens even before the printing can happen. Um, so it's quite, quite important. Um, but when it comes to the, to the, to the printing side of things, I think, um, a tip is, is like the expectation of how much money you can make out of it and how quickly, um, it's just realizing that, you know, as you learn, it's going to cost you, mm. um, but realize that everyone is going to have to go through that learning process, um, so pick things that you don't really necessarily think you're going to do so that you can learn as quickly as possible. Mm. Um, you know, like dialing in terms of how to expose the screen properly. Like, you know, that is the most crucial part before any printing happens. You know, if your screen's not right and it doesn't register right or, you, you know, how you place your film on your exposure unit or however you choose to expose it, you know, if it's on a slight angle, like that's going to make the registration a nightmare. You know, so your process in terms of how to consistently register a job is very important. Like that's probably what I would say is like I spend a lot of time on terms of getting that right. Mm. So that like my film sits the same spot on my exposure unit, my screen sits on the same spot on the exposure unit, so that when I put it in the clamps and things like that, I barely have to make any adjustments. Mm. And it's almost like 
clamp it in, make sure it sits straight, and then it's registered. Um, you know, it's dialed in that time a lot. Um, I'd say another one would be is like your honestly, it really just a lot of it actually comes down to screen prep. <laughs> it's like, you know, it all sits really in there. Um, but also like, yeah, get a good get a good flash as well. Um, so you don't have to use a heat gun for you, you know, you're curing in between times where you're, you know, you're getting your tack dry and stuff. Um, well, it depends if they go water-based. Like if I'm giving water-based exa examples and well, stuff we like can that. Only give water yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, like in general, general printing is really good. But, but I'd say like, wasn't, yeah. wasn't one of the tips earlier, don't start with water-based. Don't yeah. flash the soil migrate yeah. to yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I like I think, but if yeah, you do start like, with water-based. Water yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely a good one. But uh, learn to learn to mist if you are gonna that was the yeah, idea, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because the thing is, is like again, that with water base and stuff yeah. like that, you're gonna have screens breaking down and all those kinds of stuff, depending on your print run and all that kinds of things. So I wouldn't suggest starting off with water-based straight out, just because of like that, it's got a large barrier of entry and stuff like that. Mm. And it's gonna cost you more in the beginning to get it right. Mm. Um, because it's not forgiving. Um so I feel like it's a lot more forgiving um, in terms of working with it and how it all comes together. Um, which then leads into the trap side of things where it's basically in terms of ensuring your cure um, and making sure your garment's secured properly. Um, because I've like, you know, from my friend that, that does the plastosol printing and things like that, it's like, you know, you can over cure and that can cause your garments to crack over time. You know, you can also under cure and stuff like that. And that causes a whole different kind of range of problems as well. Mm. Um, so taking the time to dial that in you know, is very important. You know, people go like, you know, do the stretch test, you know, as unrealistic as that sound, no one wears a garment where it stretches, you know, to its maximum and things, but it gives you a good, you know, it gets, gives you good ideas as like if everything holds together properly. Um, and then I would also say in terms of like, you know, doing a good scratch test, um, you know, just rub it up against the brick wall and things like that, you know, like your test prints and stuff, just to kind of help, test. Yeah. you know, okay. it's just like, it doesn't, now, yeah, we're taking it to the extreme, but you know, you want to see the longevity of your um, your garments and things like that. You know, um, one of the great things about water base is that it actually sits in the fibers. Exactly, so plastisol to some extent does, but generally is sitting on the top and sticking oh, to top. it, and it's yeah. you know plastic and it's sweaty and it's you know although you know in our kind of world the plastic we're primarily plastisol printers, we're always after that you know super fine print basically as thin as yeah. you can get it to try and emulate um and it'll never ever ever be as smooth as a water base unless you put it in a heat press or something in which case it's great um but yeah it doesn't sit into the fibers like like um like your ink yeah and i think that's the kind of thing where you do with like you know the trade-off between the two you know you just kind of have to look in terms of like well what is the finish that you want mm. um and that's really where you would start. You know, like, what is it that you want to end up producing as a print or as a garment? Um, Not all determined. Yeah, and that yeah, that definitely determines the direction you go and stuff like that. And there is a is a massive difference in terms of process when it comes to which ink choice you go for, because that determines in terms of how you clean your screens and stuff like that, and how long you know your print runs can last and. You know, what happens to your emulsion, your screens and things like that. Mm. Um, 
which I would probably say my next tip that, that leads in is just like YouTube is your friend. Yes. Right? Watch all the videos. Watch as many and as, <laughs> as you know, that you can and things like that, where people talk about what it looks like and, you know, some of the things about printing and stuff like that. I still find myself looking at screen, you know, screen printing videos and stuff like that on YouTube mm. to try and figure things out. And, you know, because that's the quickest way to learn is from someone else's frustrations and how they figure yes. things out because then you've got a starting point. Yeah. You know, is because in any- Perth, Sorry, Tony, carry on. No, no, that's all good. Because, uh, you know, like in Perth, for as an example and stuff, like we have the temperature to deal with. You know, we don't have a lot of moisture in the air and things like that. You can get really, really dry summers and stuff like that. And so printing with water base is an absolute nightmare. Yeah. You Tony know? actually works like what you would say, like a night shift, um, like January, February and March last year. And did you do it this year? A little bit. A little bit this year yeah. where he would start work at... Yeah, yeah. it starts at six yeah. or seven p.m. and go till four or five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, sort of wow, okay, yeah. Yeah, and just work during the night because it was just, especially because we were having so many issues with our aircon as well, and it just wasn't getting fixed and stuff. It, we he just couldn't print during the day. He literally, yeah. there's a couple of times where he started a print run on the first or second shirt, it already like rocked up the screen, messed up, you know, and yeah, it was okay. like I can't do this, like. Yeah. It'll be absolute torture to try and push through, and you're just going to lose too many shirts doing it yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, is like there's a mountain of tips, there's a mountain of traps and terms and things that I've had to learn that I then you know that I can talk about and and go through and stuff like that. And you know, each tip for me can sound like better than the next or the previous one and things like that because you know when you're looking at like how fast you can produce something or how efficient you can be or consistent and things like that. Like all these little things is important to learn. Um, but if you look at it in terms of a whole process and stuff like that, the best, the most important things is like how you prepare your screens and making sure your your, your shirts is properly cured. Um, like when you have those things done, that means that you have a consistent print and your clients are always happy. Mm. Then you can start looking in terms of like, you know, how to be better at mixing your colors and, you know, how to oh, be able to. We haven't even gotten to <laughs> mixing. Okay. Oh my word. Pantos. Mixing yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Panto matching is like, yeah, that's another story. And, you know, you can explain to the clients and stuff like that. How it looks on a computer screen is different than how it's actually going to look and things like no, that. No, that's just yeah. the conversation between us every single time. Yeah. The argument. Between us. <laughs> that's the thing that's probably caused the most arguments between us in this job. Yeah. Because I'm like, matching, yeah. that's not the right color. He's like, that is the Pantone. I'm like, it's not right. It doesn't look right. It's, it's not what they're going to want. Like, and it's he's just really like, hard. woman. <laughs> We had one customer who wanted an oversized print. It's for a bikey group and um, it had a particular gold in it. And I said, you need to send us a Pantone. Didn't know what that was, wasn't going to do it. Could I just do the color off the screen? And so we got the swatch and did the color and sent it down. And he called us and said, "Uh, it's the wrong color gold. And I said, well, you know, what kind of monitor have you got? And is it calibrated? And you know, and he said, no, I needed it to be the same color as the sticker. And I said, what sticker? <laughs> he said, the sticker I got done through another printer. I was like, but you didn't tell us anything about the sticker. I don't have a sticker. What are you talking about? And he went, then went to the sticker company and said, what Pantone is this? And then he asked us what Pantone we used. And he said, they're out. They're wrong. I was like, but mate, you're not understanding how this Why works. didn't he do that in like, the first place? Yeah, I know. It's just crazy. Um, 
Uh, just a couple more questions for you, if that's yeah. okay. Time is is marching on, and I'm just really thrilled to to meet you both. This is great. Um, <laughs> um, you know, you need to come visit us. We need to come to Perth. I occasionally fly to the UK through Perth, so yeah, and, definitely uh, come and see you guys if that's okay. Um, customer service, right? <laughs> Let's talk about that, Lazan. How do you go with angry customers? How do you go with um, customers that just don't get it? They don't understand, you know, why you can't do this, that, and the other. How's that for you? <laughs> um, I think what this business has taught me, or maybe even life has taught me, um, with especially angry ones, is just to fall on your sword. Just yeah, okay. like fall on your sword, apologize, give them a discount, that sort of thing, because there is absolutely no way you're going to win the argument with them. In their mind, they're right, you're wrong, and nothing can change that. But as soon as you um, you sort of, even if it wasn't your fault, I know like, you know, it, it's really like a test of your ego in this as well, because it's like, can you put your ego aside and like just deal with the issue at hand? Because if you, if this is like an ego thing or a pride thing, you know, in the end of the day, I sort of look at it like, what result do I want at the end of, of this discussion with them? What mm. outcome do I want? Do I want them walking away thinking these screen printers are absolutely like rude? Like I will never recommend them to anyone. Like they're mm. terrible. Like they printed wrong and they didn't even apologize or whatever else. Or do I want them to go, wow, okay, they made a mistake, but they're actually like, or they said, sorry, or or even in their head, if they think we were wrong, like, you know, in the end of the day, oh, I got a discount. Cool. I'll come back for that next time, you know? Mm. So I think, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's Simon Sinek, but begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. So when I have someone difficult, that's sort of the process I go through. Mm -hmm. um, don't get me wrong. Like it's great. <laughs> I've had my fair share of anxiety dealing with these people like especially over email or text and things um people's emotions don't come across the way that I maybe perceive them so I may perceive them as really angry or really annoyed or something but then for them that's just how they type out yeah it could be yeah so, yeah. yeah like giving them a call or meeting up with them in person I much prefer to do that um just to try and sort of see what the actual issue is or like what the problem is and then going from there um people who don't get it um just patience uh I feel like sometimes I maybe I need to be a bit more direct um because sometimes I'm not as direct as I can be because if I feel myself going around on this merry-go-round and I'm like, okay, they're not getting it. Something's not coming across. So I'll check my communication. I'll see, have I said everything I needed to say? If not, okay, sorry, let me just highlight that. Or sorry, I forgot to tell you this. Like, this is how it, like this. And you really just like, um, I don't want to say dumb it down because they're not dumb, but you just really make it as simple and easy as possible. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, we've had a few clients over the years that have been fairly difficult um, in terms of every order, there's something wrong. You know, every order, they'll complain about the price or they'll complain about this or that or whatever. Mm. Um, and since 
since me taking over that part of the business, I just decided, I was like, well, these people keep coming back. So how do we want this relationship to go? Do we keep wanting to have these issues or can we do something about it, make it better, work on the relationships, get them what they actually want so that we can improve their relationship? And I've done that with these difficult clients. And, you know, now I don't get that anxiety when I see their name pop up on my phone. I'm like, mm. cool, hey, what's going on? Or like, message me about this. I'll just reply quickly. Like, mm. you know, and yeah, because that was in my control in terms of improving that relationship because like they kept coming back. So obviously they're coming back for a reason. Mm. So, you know, like I'll take that and I'll work with it. Have you ever blacklisted a client? customer yes yeah 100 yeah. yeah, um definitely there we've had people come in um saying they want to use us to print all their merchandise like fairly big quantities different designs lots of colors and then they go away and took everything we sort of talked about and used it to do it themselves oh okay right yeah, yeah. um frustrating. yeah it was you know like we always try and be as transparent and open with our customers as possible. Like Tony said, like communication is vital for us with them and number one, building the relationship and number two, in terms of if there's delays, if something goes wrong, if they're not happy, you know, that we have those channels open. And unfortunately early on, even this wasn't that early on, but you know, early on we were quite naive in terms of, you know, telling them the tips and tricks and things like that and not realizing that this person isn't being very honest and mm. basically just using us. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's why, you know, right at the beginning of our conversation, you know, some of the older school screen printers are a bit more reserved about sharing that stuff. I yeah. also kind of, you know, I've had, we don't get many people come in here because again, we're more online and I'm certain that a few people over the last few years that have connected with us and come in have been trying to kind of plumb the depths of screen printing they're usually the ones that want to go out into the shop and see things and look around um but there is a little bit of part of me that and this may be arrogant on my part um but wants to kind of say yeah go for it man you know good luck yeah um but don't come back for more help, <laughs> you know, because it is really hard. You know, it's a tough learning curve. It's so many different variables that can't be seen when you just look at someone moving a squeegee across a, uh, a screen. Um, but we blacklist customers occasionally. That um, sorry, there are. I don't know if you have that, but you have occasionally get customers who go, oh, you know, this is missing. You know, there are 10 large missing in the order or whatever. And I think, wow. well, I know how the process works here. You know, I know how many we bought, I counted in, I counted on, I counted out. Um, let's just go and check whether there are any sitting in, in the yard there, you know, but um, they drive me mad, those kind of people. And funnily enough, a lot of them seem to have been banned. When I think about it. Um, I do all the customer stuff in our little business. And um, the other one, we had one recently, and it was a martial arts organization that were doing their own merch. And it was the first time they'd done merch. And they, they were honest about that. And, you know, they had high expectations and I talked them through it and explained the, 
the pros and the cons and the pitfalls and so on. And um, they had one of the prints was just a very narrow vertical print about this long, just in the center of the chest. And it was one of those orders where they'd taken a hundred adults that were in black and then they wanted one red size eight youth, you know, that kind of thing where you go, mm. oh no, if anything goes wrong, it's going to go wrong on that t-shirt, you know. <laughs> anyway, it, it was fine. But he complained, he sent him photographs, it was half a centimetre to the left or the right too much. Mm. And I said, look, let me try and explain how screen printing works. And, you know, and we occasionally do things on YouTube, which we call peek at the press where we just kind of do a little expose on a design we think's interesting or whatever. And I must have said something on that video, like, you know, one of these goes on and comes off every six seconds. And the guy quoted me on it and said, you told, you know, if you can put that many on, you should be able to get every single one right. I said, no, oh everyone's different. And, you know, he really had a go at me. And we're just blacklist customers like that. We had a, another clothing brand for a motor car group um it was like a specialized area i can't remember what kind of might have been a hot rod group and they just every single order complained, complained. this was wrong or that was wrong or we didn't check this we didn't check that and eventually i just said you need to go somewhere else we're not dealing with you yeah. oh but you know we give you lots of business actually you don't it's not worth but, it you know we were happy to serve <laughs> you but you know take your complaint to another screen printer really um, yeah it's hard, that end of it, isn't it? But then you get the other end, don't you, where I really love this print. Thanks so much. You know, they got yeah. here for the, the special gig we're at or the event or whatever or the camp. We do a lot for kids' camps, um, which is always a nightmare because they're always last minute and the yeah. camp's always <laughs> way away from where they normally are and they can't accept delivery. You know, it's just like, ah. Um, but it's so exciting when you've got, you know, yeah. 50, 100, 500 kids or whatever, they got their t-shirts, you know, it's like, yeah, good. So mm. it's, it's like when you have that client business. that open, like when you have a client and they open the, the, the box there in the car park and things like that and they take the shirt out and you just see them like jump for joy because of how the print looks we and literally, you know, yeah, the excitement we, and stuff. We You're heard like, this yeah. yelling one time and I'm like, what's going on? And we walked <laughs> to the front and we saw them and they were just like filming and they're like, whoa, this is amazing. Yeah. It is exciting, so right? Cool. I mean, you're <laughs> yeah. doing it every day, but to them, it, you know, if it's their design and they finally got it on a garment and there's 50 of them or, you know, yep. 10 of them or whatever, it yep. is exciting. It's super exciting. Yeah, because yeah. I think sometimes we kind of we kind of miss that part into the sense of like, you know, we're part of that business's journey of what they want to accomplish. You know, it's it's kind of like, you know, we're basically commissioned to produce that piece of artwork for them. You know, they mm -hmm. might have the idea and they might have the image and things like that, but the realization of that physical product in their hand, we're part of, of that process. Yeah, we bring it to us. And yeah. for them, they're carrying a lot of like, you know, nervous energy and stresses and things like that, that whether or not this thing is going to work. And, you know, they put a lot of trust in our hands as well to kind of give them what, you know, what they are, they're expecting. And we try and make that expectations as clear as possible. You know, and sometimes we hit it like right on the on the nail, and sometimes we kind of miss the mark. Yeah. You know, and and it's kind of yeah, but it's the realizations that yeah, we're part of that journey, and you know, we get to also celebrate with them when they have a success. Yeah. Um, 
and we can we can kind of sympathize with them when it doesn't work you know because we yeah. understand the cost that's involved and the process that's involved and things like that and when you commit a 50 order or 100 order and a design doesn't sell and things like that that's you know that's a challenge in itself um which is also like the top sometimes it's like you get a client that that you actually blacklist in that situation where you know because the government doesn't sell they come to you complaining that the government didn't sell yeah. you know and that they want to refund or something like that because it didn't work and i'm like that's like that's not the, that's not the part that we do you know we don't do the marketing and selling and, and making sure design is the, the design that people will resonate with um so you know you get those kinds of things but then you get the other clients and stuff that don't complain about anything you know the yeah. color could have been a bit slightly off this time and stuff and then you know they're, they're fine they're just kind of like hey just to let you know you know this was a little bit different but that's that's the end of it they don't go like oh well we expect a reprint or yeah. you know that kinds of things and then you know we fix it on the next run and then they're completely happy with that yeah um so you definitely get like everything a huge range a yeah. huge range of clients <laughs> um and as the interesting thing is is like as Lausanne was highlighting it's like the, the those two extremes is the two clients that we've had the longest yeah. you know <laughs> and i think that the, the client that we struggle with the most is kind of like a humility check you know it kind of keeps us honest and it kind of keeps us thinking about certain things that we could potentially do different or better or those kinds of stuff um, because they keep coming back although they're complaining things like that it's like they've never really gone and said like you know i want to refund or i want to reprint or anything like that they just kind of keep us you know trying to figure things out you know for example it's like they keep coming back but the designs are always the same but there's a lot of variation so it's kind of going like well maybe we need to put them towards the dtf direction just purely because then we can give them kind of like a uh, a fixed price well, on everything and yeah, then they just transfers. order transfers and then when they have you know when it starts running low we can get more transfers in and then when they're ready to order garments and stuff it doesn't matter on the garment type or size or things like that we've got the transfers in stock. So for them, in terms of resale value and things like that, it's consistent, it's the same. Um, you know, and that kind of solution only comes from the fact that they complain about, you know, the variations in costs and stuff. And we realize that when you try and explain the fact that quantity is what determines majorly in terms of the cost of something, and then you have colors. But if it doesn't quite resonate with them that, you know, well, this time you ordered 15 of design, last time you ordered, you know, 25 or 30, and that affects, you know, the cost, and it just, sometimes it just doesn't quite resonate with them. And so you kind of go like, well, let's look at a blanket price, but we're going to have to change in terms of the type of service that's provided to be able to give that for you. Yeah, okay, that's great. You know? I like that. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah. The easy ones is just like, you know, they come back every time, every three months, the same kind of quantities and orders and stuff. And then, you know, they do better as a business and boom, you know, the orders doubled. You're like, yes, you know, like yeah. that's what you yeah. want, yeah. you know, but then you celebrate with them because they also experience that growth, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and that's kind of, for me, it's just like, you know, growing with people. Um, yeah. And redeeming a hard, bad relationship is profitable for everyone. Yeah. That changes. Because you, know, you get referrals coming from that, you know, so yeah. yeah. That's great. Listen, uh, two last things. One is, do you have any questions for me before we bring this to an end? Yes, no, no's okay. <laughs> you're all, you're all um, done out. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, I would just say in terms of hmm, over the like your your screen printing experience and stuff like that. Um, 
what would be your biggest lesson? And I know that's a bit of a like a like a heavy question. Um, but like what's what's your real biggest biggest lesson that you learned? Um it's a bit personal in a way, in a not in a bad way, but in a sense that I didn't because I'm older, this won't apply to most people, but I didn't realize the kind of fatigue that it would bring to my body personally and the damage it would do to my joints. Um, mm. But it didn't stop me printing. You know what I mean? I liked it too much to stop, but eventually it caused us to, to get an auto. Mm. So that I think was a re on a personal level was a big one. Um, I think, the other thing I often say, it's kind of a bit different this, but is I wish I'd, because I've run so many different businesses, um, some have been really successful, some have been just disastrous, you know, really terrible. Um, various things I thought I wanted to do and get into and discovered that was a very bad idea. Um, I wish I'd started screen printing 30 years earlier. Um, it's a fantastically um, satisfying job to be in. Mm -hmm. uh, you can be a management consultant working on billion dollar programs, but it's in the government and there's major issues and it's impossible to deliver and you know no one's happy. And yet you can print <laughs> 50 t-shirts and like you said, you know, a customer comes in and goes, wow, you know. Yeah. And just the idea, I think I said it like this to someone recently, <laughs> the idea that you can take um, ink and force it through a tiny mesh mm. and layer it in terms of colors and produce a fantastic image on a garment that someone's gonna wear is amazing. The idea that you can repeat that four seconds later is genius. <laughs> and, and I love that concept around printing as an art. It's beautiful, it's stressful at times. And I think if I'd started that 30 years earlier, I'd be somewhere else, you know. I, mm -hmm. I co-own this business with one of my daughters. Oh, nice. Yeah, it started as a kind of hobby and it just went, somebody That's asked amazing. us to print something for a beach mission here in, on the East Coast. And we said, yeah, how hard can that be? And it was, I think it was a four color front, one color back. And it was <laughs> like, you know, 50 or 80 T's or something like that, which for us then was like, whoa, you know, it took us nearly a week. <laughs> we were ironing it was water-based and we were ironing it and you know had, didn't have the kit and now of course we do that in 10 minutes kind of thing so <laughs> um i love that that's happened yeah but i wish i had started earlier um and that's you know it's just the way it is i think the for me the business end isn't new you know i'm someone yeah. the other day was on the phone to me a friend saying he wanted to start a business in some kind of woodworking thing, what was my advice? And I said, don't do it. And that was just to try and, you know, generate the conversation at the right level. And he, I said, what do you think your hardest challenge is? And he said, producing a great product. I said, no, you'll overcome that. Whatever that is, you'll overcome it. Your hardest challenge mm. is getting the sale, mm. getting the marketing right, getting the business. Mm. And, you know, most entrepreneurs fail at that point. Mm. And if you can go for three years and get through that, you'll probably succeed in, in my opinion. Um, I get, I had just fortunately have a lot of experience in that raising capital and doing all sorts of front end stuff internationally. Um, I've never done manufacturing before, which ostensibly is, is what we're doing. 
taking art yeah. and put it into manufacturing. Um, so I'm very new to that end of the processes. So it would have been, that's the hardest learning, I guess, is getting how that works. Mm. You know, so for example, when I quite glibly say earlier on, you know, we've got to keep the press turning. If that press is, that's when we're earning dollars, it's true. But how do you do it? <laughs> yeah. That's the hard bit, right? Because everyone goes, yeah, as long as that's turning, there's money coming in and going out. And, uh, we get it. Go spin it. It's not really going to do the, yeah, the making right. money for you, is it? That'd be nice. Right? <laughs> but how do you make it happen? And and you know, how do you make sure those processes don't break? Is there a single point of failure? Um, so all the brand, the brand narrative, you know, big on that. We've got a multi-branded strategy, and that seems to work. Although we're kind of coalescing them into one channel now, um, just because it's too much for us to manage. Um, so yeah. But I can see I'm already, you know, there's five of us in the print shop, which is three FTE. So the other two are part-time, depending on you know how big the jobs are. Because if you do have an 800 job, there's an 800 job coming this week, we'll get four on the press just because we want to mm. get it out so we can keep everyone else fed. Um, mm. And we have another person now doing social media marketing um, for us, who's another member of my family, lives in a town nearby um and we now outsource the accounts you know but i can feel that sense of oh, what am i going to do you know like eventually <laughs> someone else is going to do the stuff i love the separations in the film and getting the screens right and um the business development i guess is where i'll end up working on it but i know oh sorry that sounds terribly arrogant i think this is our businesses are hard to stop Unless yeah. you know an economic thing comes and cuts us off Stops at the knees, <laughs> yeah, which can happen, of course. But it just seems to me either the market's growing, or the old school is losing market share, or there's a new market like brands that are coming out, more bands. I don't know. Bands have always had teas, um, but there seems to be a space here. Mm. Um, Going with Anatole, I'd say would be good, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know any others, right? I don't have any. Yeah. I, I'd like to try an MR next to see, you know, what, what all the rave is about. It's very expensive. We've yeah. been very happy with the Anatole. Um, we, uh, is it Chicago? So the Anatole comes from, it's an American company now, but it's from um, Poland. So we'll manufacturing in Poland, supported by the Ukraine. So don't know, I think that's on certain yeah. components. Don't know how that's working out just now. Mm. Um, but we, we love it. It's great. It's everything we wanted. It's 10 color or 10 print head, I should say. Uh, we run two flashes on that. If we want, we run one. And depending on the type of job that's going on, it does some really funky things with step back mode and um, what's called cycle mode, which is, if you get a setup, if you if you got nine colors on the press, and I don't know, one of them is just not working well for you. Maybe it's um, I don't know, the ink's too thick, or you chose the wrong mesh count, or something's just not quite right on the press. Then and there, you just can say, well, let's switch this to cycle mode and manage that problem through the print run by mm. sending it around again. And what's really neat about that, we don't use it very often, but you know, if you've got a lot of colors on and you've stuffed up, you can either just take it all down and start again or go to cycle mode. 
What's yeah. really neat about that is you just load. We've got 12 plans, so we just load them all. And you just walk away. And it could just be doing, it can do up to eight cycles to finish, yeah. to get it exactly. You might have a flattening screen to get it exactly the way you want. You can yeah. have a cup of tea. And when it comes round to be taken off, it just starts beeping at you. Oh, it's ready to. And that, that's not a great kind of um, you know, <laughs> production model, right? Yeah. In terms of output and yield. But just the same, it's pretty neat, right? <laughs> Set this up, walk away. Oh, right. Now we can reload, you know, and work through yeah. the job that way. So we like it. It takes a lot to dial it in. Uh, and I don't just mean knowing how to use the software as a doddle. You don't learn that in an hour. Um, so I don't just mean learning, you know, speed of stroke, um, angle of squeegee, pressure squeegee, all those things. Actually getting the machine balanced well and set yeah. up well. So there's a lot of variables there in terms of the size screens you use, the width of your arms uh, on, on the print head, um, the height of the platens, you know, so you've obviously got your off contact, which you are moving all the time, depending on the substrate, but um, getting those platens perfectly set up. So you know, it's like anything, it's very heavy, it's very big, took an awful lot of effort to get it in and installed. And, um, you know, was fine we've got everything leveled perfectly but after a couple of months metal you know like anything it's sagging a little bit and you've got to work out what's gone right you know that took a while it's per ours is dialed in really well i think now getting those platens you know not not with a standard spirit level a really super fine spirit level just getting it you know those things take a while but i think they're really good we've got a vault and you know we love it. We had a young fellow working on it yesterday, loading, as I said, and just manually working on the press. And it worked fine. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely recommend that. Yeah, probably a good way to go. Um, support's a little bit hard, um, mostly because I prefer to deal with the Americans if I need to. Um, and there's just a time difference, which is... Yeah. Slightly worse for you, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. day and night. Yeah, depending yeah. on where they're based, it's roughly about thirteen hours behind us. Yeah. So if I want to catch them in the beginning of the day, it's uh, about you know eight o'clock. Eight o'clock at night here. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. It's not, it's not it's not the worst, but it also means that I've got to be here until who knows what time at night and be trying to fix the problem over the phone and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Which, I mean, like, I'm used to that anyways when it came to getting my equipment here and getting everything sorted and stuff like that. So I was on the phone with Ryan a lot. So, um, you know, you just kind of got to do what you got to do. So <laughs> Yeah, correct. Yeah. All right. Well, look, let's uh, call it a day. It's been absolutely amazing, really stimulating for me. Um, where can people find out about you? You're on TikTok? Insta, your website? We are on TikTok, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, TikTok, um, then, and obviously the website as well. And that's antacesp.com.au, is that right? Is that how yes. you say it? Antace? Antace, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we've got Antace screen printing for Instagram. Um, same would be for Facebook. Uh, TikTok. Let me just check. 
Yep, at anti-screen printing. Um, Facebook page. Sorry? Facebook page, you have one of those? Yep, yep. Yeah, so anti-screen printing. Um, it used to be anti-SP, but we just realized obviously with uh, marketing and that, like the SP, anti is weird enough, um, but we need that screen printing like in there as well to help. Um, yeah. And yeah, I did say LinkedIn. Yep. Yeah. Well, guys, Zahn, if I get that right, finally, hopefully, Tony. Yes. Thank you, thank you so much for just engaging. Um, it's been a blessing to me just to listen and hear your story. It's been a very, um, how will I put it, not shocking, but brave, courageous, in fact, story in terms of the timing and waiting for the press and getting married and everything. But it looks like it's paying off wonderfully. It's really yeah. encouraging to see a husband and wife working together as well like this. I think that's very special. So Thank thanks you. very much for coming on and we'll stay in touch and I'll be in touch again about some of those other things that I mentioned in, in my email to talk about, if that's okay. Definitely. Thank you, Sam. Sounds Thank good. you for being patient as well. Well, I think we had a bit of a hectic couple of weeks and oh, postponing no, it. Okay. <laughs> no, that was, that turned out well for us. That's all good. That's all right. good. Yeah. No, thank you so much. We've really enjoyed this so yeah, much. Definitely. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's also really nice because the questions that allows us to reflect and, and just get back in touch with where we came from and what we've had to go through. And, yeah. you know, it kind of gets you going like, you know, wow, like we've, we've come, come a long, long way. Yeah. Long way. <laughs> I can see it. I can feel it, you know, as you talk through it. Yeah, no, it's good. All right. Well, have a great rest of the day. And Thanks. Um, you too. Yeah. We'll speak to you again soon. Sounds All right. good. All right. Thank you. See ya. Bye. Bye. Screen, screen printing, printing. Uh.